All right, guys. Welcome to the final episode of uh, Prepared. Your wow breakdown at this stage, but yeah, it's the uh, it's the final one, guys. We made it. Uh, a little bit sad, but you know, it's uh, time to do other things. Unfortunately, not enough time. But uh, thank you for joining us here for this final. Uh, episode of the podcast we're gonna a little bit of wow talk but this episode is gonna be a lot of just riffing and uh, hanging out and just talking about uh, the life of Zyrene and streaming and content creation and and uh, other stuff tangentially related to Zyrene and what we do and such so yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun one so if you ever wanted to hear the the story of Zyrene then we'll probably cover it today hopefully decently we don't know but this is going to be, uh, yeah, we're just going to be riffing a bit. Although I, I have been told from a lot of our regulars, Irene, that they, they actually really like the, the sort of just riffing episodes. Mm. Yeah, because uh, uh, they just want to hang with the boys. I mean, if you wanted something like a, a show where people are like, hey, welcome back, blah, 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 and you'd watch like, you know, TV, you'd watch a YouTuber or that can like put the effort and energy in to get the takes they want, etc. So... Yeah, if you watch a podcast, you're usually there for the tangents, the unedited stuff, and the uh, the the energy level not being like through the goddamn roof, <laughs> being through the roof, yeah. Chill, laid back, right? Yeah. Have you yeah. have you have you been noticing the Mister Beastification of YouTube? No. So this is something I I noticed when I was doing a lot of research into like viral trends and how to make a successful YouTube video and such. Like the current trend and and the current format for YouTube is. Because Mr. Beast is very open about how he makes his video, what makes his video successful and such. He, he, if you look around, it's very easy to find his format and, and he'll teach everyone, anyone that's willing to listen, how he does it. So it's, it's become this thing where everyone has started editing their thumbnails and the editing like Mr. Beast. Which means like 50 cuts in the first 10 seconds. In the first 10 seconds, you got to state the objective of your video. You got to be super, super high energy. Uh, and then there's every, anytime there's a lull in the, in the action, you suddenly you cut and you up the stakes. And it's, uh, it's this thing where, man, I, like, I understand why it's popular, but I, I can't watch it for too long because then I, like, it fries my brain. It's like there's just too much, too much action, too much all the time. And it's What's like, the point? Uh, it fries your brain and then you, <laughs> you just veg out. And then you click the next video afterwards. You just keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah you just don't stop. I mean, there's a reason it's, that's popular. Uh, it averages... Uh, so I was looking at that format of video. They average like 75% retention rate. Which means if anyone clicks on their video, 75% of them will stay and watch the entire video. Because it's just... It's, it, it doesn't give you any chance to click off. Because it's like something's always happening at every point in time. But yeah, it's... Uh, uh, it's, it's it's nice to watch that stuff sometimes, but a lot of other times, man, I, I can't watch it for too long. It just, uh, it drains my energy just watching it. Or my concentration, I guess I could say. My concentration. But yeah, anyway, um, you did, you did uh, a lot of ray testing, right, Zareen? In, in the old... Yep. Wow. How how was that? Just just like super quickly. Like how, how, how was the rays? Were they actually good and like fun? I can make them fun. <laughs> That's... Uh, that, that doesn't sound like, promising. So, like, uh, what what would you rate the raids if comparing them to all the like other raids of TBC and Classic and such? Like, what what do they rank on the fun scale? I don't think the dungeons are necessary. I don't think the like the raids are necessarily fun. I think the classes are fun. So it's like 
I think that the class that people are playing is more satisfying and more fun than it was before. Uh, and so the dungeon, at least like something like Nax, is like almost like a controlled variable here, uh, where it feels really like you're just rolling over everything. You definitely feel like you're a hero, um, just shit stomping the enemy. Uh, so it it kind of loses that like that that f- that feeling of like oh you pulled too much right or like somebody pulled an extra pack it's like oh god it might be a wipe or something it's very very hard to do that in something like Nax. um so yeah people are like giga pulling almost everything that they can and uh finding success with it so yeah it's uh it it's fun in a different way not necessarily because the dungeons themselves are fun but because the classes are fun so i think that might actually be like a better formula at the beginning uh, and as like something like Old War comes out, and that is definitely more fun, uh, people will will feel like it's worth it. But I definitely think that Wrath of Lich King has a lot of nostalgia to it for people, um, and I don't think it's as good as people remember it being. Like I remember Classic WoW and TVC being good, and then Wrath of Lich King being very slumpy in it, like very slumpy, where there's just a point in the middle. At the beginning, you it's kind of slumpy, but people are working on characters. And then in the middle with Crusader, uh, that's where I really like fell out of love with WoW. That was like the first time. It was just not something that did it for me, especially after Old War. So I think that's probably going to happen again. Not to be like doom and gloom, but I definitely think that is a really weak phase. And I don't see myself like enjoying that because it's just boss after boss after boss. It's like five bosses in a row. And that's all the instances. You do it twice. Um, and the gear is better than anything in Old War. Minus like legendary. So there's like no point to go to Old War except to go get uh, Valnir. And that's uh, that's it. So it's like it, it's a thing that's not very fun to do that makes other content dated. And that was one of the things I really didn't like about it. So I right now I'm cautiously optimistic about Old War, but I am very cautious and worried about uh crusader in the future so right now i think the game will be fun because people are going to be focused on their characters powering up instead of like fighting the content so i think it'll be fun at first huh oh how's your experience been of of uh redoing next again because i haven't done any of the next stuff I, I didn't touch it yeah it's uh you bring a lot of the stuff you knew before into it and it's just exactly the same uh it's much, much easier though. You just roll over everything. Like Fairlina Gigapole is absolutely doable without any sappers or NG or anything like that. Uh, the like people are pulling patchwork, which pulls his entire room and then he resets and then the entire room is running into like a corridor and you AOE that down. So there's like all these speed run strategies that are popping up right now that just involve nuking entire rooms together with almost no threat to you. Uh, so yeah, it's a, uh, same thing with Resuvius. You pull Resuvius and then reset him. Um, you pull Resuvius like with the hunter pet or something and he runs like all the way up to the stairs or something, right? And then the entire stables comes at you and you just put him inside of the uh, inside of the stairwell and you just hold huh. your ground and you kill him. Threat is pretty much a non-issue. All the tanks are cracked out. Um, DKs do Icy Touch and it does 14x uh, damage as threat. So single Icy Touch is like 28k threat. If it crits, uh, makes the class really boring <laughs> for me. So I've been playing like different variants, like frost variant instead of blood. Uh, 
Yeah, it's a uh, threat is pretty much a non-issue. People were using like bugged sigils that gave the Death Knights 111 percent increased oh, yeah. attack speed. Yeah, I heard about that. Um, so they were literally ta- attacking twice as fast, and then they do the gargoyle stuff, and they still weren't pulling threat off of tanks. So uh, that's the thing that I'm like sitting here going, "Damn, this is uh, like threat is not really an issue. It's just how many things can you tank at once that becomes the problem." Uh, and pretty much every class except for DK as blood can do a really sufficient job of it. I don't know about feral as much, but yeah, so far it's been every class is good. Every class can do everything they want to do. Um, and there's not really large differences between them. So blizzard definitely got their, uh, uh, bring the player, not the class thing down. Obviously there still will be a, uh, uh, classist thing at the top where people will play like you know the classes that are powerful so huh. yeah because i tuned into a few raids here and there i saw guzu doing knacks a bunch and then uh it, but it seemed like yeah like like you said it seemed like he just it was more like a dungeon group uh just kind of going through the motions and there wasn't really any danger it was just really super just chill just even though he wasn't really experienced with it because he knew kind of how it went in classic he just it just did the same thing and it fell over. It looked like what what uh what it looked like watching the the next stuff again. What 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 does that make your thoughts are uh, for like the long term viability of Wrath Classic then? Because uh, as we know now, it's it's been officially released after it was released and then taken down and then released again. That September twenty sixth is the launch date for Wrath. Uh, what what how do you feel then about the long term viability because uh, before the podcast started i was talking to chat about how man the hype for tbc was huge going into it but then it was also a very huge fast decline from mm-hmm. that hype so how do, how do you feel that might go for raf um it's it's funny because i think that you know the old school um the old school graph of like how subscriptions were up until blizzard stopped reporting them type thing where it was like if original classic wow has this gigantic slope just going straight up basically um and it's because players were like finding this new thing they didn't care if there was like a lull in it they were like this game is engaging new different looks good for its time plays very well uh and feels good to play so people were like constantly joining it and then when tbc came out the slope goes a little bit lower like it's not as much of an incline yeah. Um, and that's kind of reflected in like the content releases and the uh, the like difficulty of the game because even back then in like classic WoW, I remember people were not using world buffs on things like saffron, so the game was definitely a lot harder and people weren't clearing all the content. Um, and then as people like actually start clearing content, it becomes a little less uh, like e- engaging in that regard, and people have to pick up arenas and stuff. And it's the first time that arena came out, so people were really excited about that. So I, I feel like the way that it started to not have as much growth is because of the fact that they were one picking up a lot of people who were interested in it in the first place. And two, they were doing a really good job of uh, retaining people, but there were still some times that people would get upset, quit the game, etc. cetera. Uh, but not, not the same rate as like vanilla. I don't know. I don't know a lot of people who played vanilla to max level and then actually quit like the game completely. I don't know. I don't know a lot of people who did that. Most people played through to TBC because um, the game was just so mystical and magical back then uh, for just the time. And then in Wrath of Lich King, I think that it leveled off completely. Uh, it 
at a incline at the beginning and then it levels off almost completely because people are quitting the game at the same rate that they're joining the game. So even though they like upped their advertising, they had a little more mainstream pull, that was still counteracted by the fact that the content wasn't engaging enough to keep people. So they'd get new subscribers at the same rate they would lose subscribers. And to me, that was the concerning thing. I think that's going to happen again. I think that original Classic WoW had a ton of hype for it. You think about like, you know, Asmongold and all those guys coming in, just boosting it, making it so that there's fucking six hour queues that you have yeah. to get up early for. Six um, and hours. Then the those are rookie numbers, Irene. I know. <laughs> I know. Pumped those up. <laughs> and then it's just absolutely insane. And then in TBC, they had pretty much tried to fix that issue completely. Um, there was some hype for it, but not on the same level of like build up where people were like playing the beta. All right. And all of that stuff. So, uh, then when Wrath is coming out now, I think there is hype for it, but I think that uh, people have been playing Wrath for a very long time on private servers still, and it's going to have a large influx of new players, private server players, TBC players, uh, but I think that towards the middle, it's going to <clears throat> have the same thing that it did last time where it's going to level off. So that, that's my prediction for how it's going to go. Mm-hmm. I think it's really just going to mirror... because I mean, essentially, you are just releasing the same games. Why would the pattern of the uh, subscriptions or the uh, engagement change or vary is the content's not right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, if you're telling me that if you're telling me now that wrath of the Lich King is going to be or have more retention than it did last time, I don't think that's true. So it's like they didn't change the game. Uh, in fact, it might even just be worse because the times are yeah. changing and there's way more games that people can play, yeah, especially the PVP um, side. I was going to say it's like, uh, yeah. Yeah, I know the a lot of the PvP guys are super hyped for Wrath because it's a change of yeah. pace, but the the PvP community is definitely not what it used to be, especially in uh WoW. I mean, yeah, they used to have BlizzCons around Wrath of the Lich yeah. King. Right? So it's like it's definitely not the same. Uh, I mean what I'm concerns close. me at least when I think about WoW is that uh one is is something we've talked about before is that the the MMO genre as a whole needs like a like a revamp or something to inject mm-hmm. fresh life into it because uh, people just don't play mmos that way anymore it's very hard to get people outside of the nostalgia crowd to sign up for mmos and play it long term which i think translates into a, a other problem which is that uh streaming is a big part of the longevity of a game these days or like the popularity people need to be making lots of content around streaming around youtube and all of that and if it can't be a viable content mechanism for a long time for streamers as, as especially, I feel like it. that's so much lost advertising and so much lost uh, gameplay or, or a, a source for that marketing funnel to bring in new people into the game. Because when I look at the games that have successfully survived long term, they're games that do really well streaming-wise as well, uh, generally. Right, like like League of Legends has even though people say now looking at the numbers are League of Legends is falling off or like the game's not as popular as it once was, particularly in the US. It was insanely popular. Yeah. It's still a mega game uh mm-hmm. in on all for all intents and purposes, especially even on the streaming numbers, even if they're down for the US, they're still huge. Like League is still massive, massive in the streaming space. And and like some of the chat is pointing out, man, Counter Strike was was and still is like uh, fairly popular, even though Valorant seems to have come around and kind of taken a lot of the win out of those sales. But uh, uh, it feels like streaming was what kept Counter Strike competitive and like the esports aspect of it kept a lot of that uh, around for so long. 
but MMOs yeah. just don't really have that long-term appeal anymore, right? Like, I'm sure like uh, Raft's gonna launch. We're gonna have a ton of people who don't normally play Raft get huge streaming numbers playing Raft, including Asmund Gold, uh, if he is planning to play Raft. Um, and, and like the As fans and the other people that aren't really known as WoW streamers anymore. I'm sure they'll come back. They'll get massive numbers, but then a lot of the ones that aren't really WoW players, they'll quit after you know a short time. Because it's yeah. just, uh, it's not really a viable long-term streaming game. Like, yeah, it's like people don't really uh, want to tune in and watch you farm gold uh, on stream a lot. I mean, back in the day, right? Like, Soda Poppin', like all these guys got really big. A lot of the grandfathers of streaming are because of WoW originally, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, they were WoW players. People wanted to watch them. They It was like one of the first big esports that there was. Um and so, and it came at the right time. Uh, but I think that nowadays, uh, one of the things that I think is kind of a, uh, it's not necessarily like a, a full indicator, right? Like there's obviously asterisks next to stream numbers for certain games. Um, because like, you know, you're, you're talking about Counter-Strike doing so well for so long because the esports scene, it's like Valorant's coming in and obviously like taking in, like b- taking a large chunk out of their audience doing their own esports scene. Um, so it's obviously going to cut their numbers, and if Valorant just completely consumes it, then you know, that's a different story. But the uh, the way that I see it from like an esports perspective is your game sometimes creates a certain type of player, or or sorry, creates not necessarily creates. I would say um, it's like a nature versus nurture thing here. So I think the nature of your game will attract people with a certain temperament. Um, to play for it right uh for example i think that people who really enjoy or get good at things like uh counter-strike or first-person shooters are people who tend to do well under pressure who like having uh like having the spotlight on them to some degree because they're the person who can like 1v5 right if you don't like that adrenaline if you actually have just been trained to not like that feeling of your heart pounding 1v5 you have to clutch it right if you don't like that feeling you're almost never going to go pro because you the people who would go pro are the ones who lean into that feeling who like it who are almost addicted to it to some sense and i think you can also see this in the nature of uh the interviews in which you see from different esports right people are always like oh the fighting game community has really good interviews because their players are really outgoing their players are usually people who are like talking smack right nature of playing a fighting game is you are one-on-one against somebody. You are in high intense situations where you have to read people and you can't crack under the pressure. And then if you like that feeling and you're addicted to it, you're going to try and get better at the game, right? It's going to give you that feedback loop. Uh, And then you look at people like in Counter-Strike, you see Counter-Strike interviews. They're very, 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 very different than the person who does the League of Legends interview, who's more introverted, who usually gives you one-word answers. Having actually been in that esports scene, I can tell you, Sometimes like pulling teeth doing interviews with certain players um, because League of Legends ends up attracting a lot of a large audience that, you know, you don't have to be the person who 1v5 clutches, right? You don't have to be that person. It's a little more team play in a solo queue environment to start getting uh, better. And you can play many different roles. You could play the support. You could play the AD carry. So it's going to have a lot of different appeal to different people and different types of people. So when it comes to um, esports audiences and how we consume games, I think that for something like WoW, the person that plays WoW 
and plays it really like frequently is not necessarily the type of person who wants to spend their time even watching a Twitch stream in the first place. There's, I don't think that uh, people watch Twitch streams normally. Like, I think we've talked about this with like just chatting streamer audiences versus WoW audiences yeah. and even League of Legends audiences where it's like, which one has been trained more to give donations to get a, a feedback loop from the streamer and it's just chatting, right? Um, in WoW, you support the person because you think they're good. In League of Legends, you support the person because they're like a pro player. You think they're good. You think they're funny, etc. Um, for things like that, it's really the game crafts the player and or the game attracts a certain player, crafts them into a certain way. And the audiences for those games are also uh, players with a similar player like mentality. So in my opinion, I think that people who consume WoW content are not normally people who are going to uh, watch a Twitch stream, right? So I think that stream numbers are sometimes not indicative of how well the game is doing or how poorly it's doing. Because for example, if we made a League of Legends podcast, even though the game is wildly popular, it still may not do incredibly well. I can tell you because the like podcast like The Dive has never done incredibly well compared to how big the NALCS was at the time, right? So, but uh, a WoW podcast relative to like the player base seems to be something that they're more likely to consume, right? Uh, at least in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I think that it's something that they're more likely to consume. And then there's things like guides and stuff as well, right? That I think all audiences are people who want to try to get better at a game or even play a game in general are more likely to click on. So I, I do think that it's like, we do have to stay a little bit aware of, uh, I know it's like a bit of a tangent to kind of get to my point. But I do think that stream numbers to some degree can be very deceptive because I don't think the WoW player base watches streams for the, in the first place. Right. I don't think yeah. nowadays the player base watches streams. I don't know how much you watch streams. I don't know how much this people in the chat watch streams, but they're, you know, they're the specific audience who are watching a stream. <laughs> and I'm talking about like, I'm yeah. talking about the majority, right? Like it's one of those things where it's like, you, you did a survey of people in Twitch streams of how much they watch Twitch streams or are they likely to watch Twitch streams? It's like, yeah, it's, you're going to have a, a, a bias there in your eye. Well, I mean, the the weird uh, thing I find a lot in the anytime this has come on for for WoW streams in particular when I talk to my chat is a lot of them are like, oh, I don't even play WoW anymore. I I just kept watching you because I used to play WoW, <laughs> and uh, yeah, now I just put with, you in the background. Yeah, it happens with League all the time, especially nowadays when people are like, oh, I quit League, and you know they still watch esports, right? That's yeah. one of the things that I think Riot sometimes considers a win is when somebody doesn't play but they still have the retention in uh, the esports scene. Because it means that person still has their foot in the water uh, activity-wise, and they are likely to, if you do the right move, come back, right? So, churned audiences who still view will, or churned players who are still an audience member are likely to have potential to come back. So, I mean, that's yeah. why I always thought there was the MMO genre is really fascinating because it's, uh, it's one of those genres that has everyone has interacted with the MMO genre at some point in time, mm -hmm. it feels. It's got this really, really wide reach of people that are kind of fond of it, but they might not necessarily be playing an MMO or like be interacting with MMOs or even watching anything to do with MMOs like, on Twitch or YouTube. And this, this is going to sound a little bit um, presumptuous to some degree, right? And I'm going to lean on my observation here and my uh, intuition. And it's that a lot of times people view Twitch streams for primary reasons that fall under the category of uh, seeking companionship, friendship, uh, socializing, feeling like you're not alone, and uh, or gaining skill and watching and having entertainment, right? And 
when it comes to something like a League of Legends, right? People are more likely to get lonely. They're playing by themselves. Uh, they're more likely to like seek social situations and stuff. And in WoW, the nature of the game is you have a guild, right? You have people around you. You have discords that you hang out in. Um, it's hard to balance your time between socializing with your guild, etc., and even being in another Twitch stream. I know that I personally have like watched less tr Twitch streams ever since I started playing WoW um, because for some reason it, it satisfies one of those boxes and there's some overlap between watching Twitch and being online in a Discord with your buddies playing the game, right? Uh, so I think that people who play something like, uh, you know, uh, like League of Legends or Counter-Strike, etc., those games are a little lonelier to some degree than an MMORPG. <laughs> so I think that that would create also a little bit of a discrepancy too. Uh, well, I, I guess that does make sense because I have been, um, yeah, I have been, uh, when, when I got COVID the other month, oh, it must be like a month ago now or something like that, uh, I, I needed something to do because my brain wasn't functioning at full capacity just because I was tired. So I, I needed something to do. So I started playing League again. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, and half the time I would like be just playing solo queue. And uh, by the way, climbed up to to gold two career, eighty percent win rate. Let's go! Shit, that's like diamond four. Yeah, that's like diamond in four NA. in NA. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's like challenger NA. No. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, I pretty much always had like a Twitch stream in the background while I was playing. Uh, at the same time, because I, I don't know when you're playing solo queue without your friends, you gotta do you gotta <laughs> do something to distract you from your your bottom lane feeding zero ten at the same time. Uh, yeah, so I, I did have that experience, but it's it's it's, it's so fascinating the MMO genre. I was saying because uh, it feels like so many people are have tangentially like related to watch it in some way or are connected to it in some way, but they don't actively participate in it but then every now and then there's something that will spark it or like some content like soda pop in or something will do something really interesting or as fan might come back and do something or or asmago might do something and suddenly everyone just tunes in and watches it and it's like suddenly the stream numbers go crazy because everyone has that mmo connection they're like oh what, what, what's this new mmo thing that's going on is, is this like mmo's good again do i need to be watching this and then they, they end up leaving when they realize, oh, it's just the same, same old MMO stuff again. But it is really interesting that every now and then you can see like almost like a little spark of, of potential if someone can crack the code and find a way to shake up the MMO genre again. But it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's not, not an easy thing to, to crack into for sure. But yeah, um, yeah, I thought we'd get into some Zyrene talk now. So... There's going to be a lot, of, a lot about the, the story of Zarine. And I understand, Zarine, of course, that there's going to be some stuff that you know, we might have to gloss over or you might be able to talk to because I don't know what NDAs you're under and, 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 gotcha. or, and you, you don't want to get into any drama things with other creators and such. So, you know, if, if there's any time you want to gloss over it or like um, just, you know, not share too much about it, it's, it's all good, of course. But uh, yep. yeah, so uh, we actually talked about this first bit before but um I, I guess for the people listening at home do they uh how how did you get into gaming because if i remember right it was something to do with you you mentioned something to do with you being in the hospital a lot for health reasons and such yeah so uh when i was younger uh, my dad was really against video games in general he was uh he was somebody who was actually like uh 
God, he literally lived in a commune at one point. He was a communist and they share everything but like disrespect in women. So they like, you know, you do a favor for them. They do a favor for you. He like, like carves out a place where you can have a septic tank or septic tank plans and stuff like that. And then they're just like, you know, they give him a bunch of food and shit, right? Like you literally just trade stuff all the time. Um, so in the commune, everybody owns everything, uh, obviously to the degree at which it's reasonable. So like a true communist, not the kind that you hear about where it's like everything's been taken over and there's somebody who naturally went to a leadership position and like policed everything. Uh, yeah, like an actual commune. So he's like pretty hippie, right? right. Um, and he was a very against video games and very against like watching TV just to watch TV. I remember you had to tell him like what show you wanted to watch on what channel and what time and day. Uh, because once it was done, the TV was off because he was very against like vegging out watching TV to watch TV. So like the show I would watch is off. It's done. Rugrats comes on and now I'm just mindlessly watching run Rugrats and then I'm mindlessly watching like Nick at night or something. And, and he was completely against that stuff. He'd be like, this is the show you're watching. And then when it's done, TV goes off. Right. Very, very against that. So he was against video games in general. We didn't have any video games in the house. And, uh, my, uh, when I was on a bike, uh, just like riding with my brothers, we went down a hill. I turned to the left really quickly and the bike flew out from under me and my leg hit the curb right on the curb. So I broke my femur in half, which is the hardest bone to break in your body. And so I was in traction in the hospital for like six months. And as my mom always, like my mom and I say that like my handwriting is absolute chicken scratch because I missed that part of uh, school like six months plus of just being out of school where they're teaching handwriting. So, you know, my handwriting is awful. Uh, and so I, uh, was in traction. There's nothing to do in the hospital. It's absolutely miserable except for the morphine. Uh, and then my, uh, my dad's boss, who was the president of his university, cause my parents are all college professors. Uh, they, uh, the president of the university said he can have anything that he wants. And I said I wanted a Game Boy with Pokemon. And so I got a Game Boy with Pokemon Red. And naturally having an older brother and an older, uh, uh, older brother and a younger brother, uh, they wanted one too. So they, my parents had to cave and get them one. Obviously, I had my own, which was for me, and then they had to share one. And that was where I really got like into video games as an escape. Being in the hospital with four walls around me that I just can't escape was just miserable. So uh, video games kind of saved me there. Uh, and then from there, I just, you know, started to get things like, uh, an Xbox played Halo every day after school with my friends when we come home. Um, I mean, obviously before that I would go to other people's places cause we couldn't have a game system, but you know, when you have friends and they have like star Fox 64, you going over after school for a little bit. So it wasn't my game system then, but you know, eventually I got things like the Xbox played Halo, played Halo two, played Halo two online, uh, was competitive at that at a very, very high level, not pro, but you know, very high level until people started like modding xboxes and having like insane uh things that just ruined the ladder for a long time did, did you do the uh, the weird halo grip uh <sighs> to, no, to be able to bx for... really quickly or whatever i forgot no, what, I what it was called that grip i do that i do that for uh for dark souls though because <laughs> uh, <laughs> i do that for dark souls i have the weird grip for that um and so yeah halo 2 was the one that i i really took off on terms of like competing in because all the games i had before that were like co-op or just single player like pokemon or halo one um and so a after that i found uh 
I found wow when I was getting homeschooled in high school because I had uh, Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, I guess is what it turned out being. Uh, so I have ulcerative colitis. And so I was like not able to really go to school at the same time as everybody else. I'm constantly fatigued. Uh, it's like a permanent illness that you'll basically always have and you go into remission, sometimes come out of it. And so like basically all of my, my large intestines is scar tissue at this point. Um, and I'll probably have to have my colon removed at some point in my life. And uh, so I, I'm like, you know, not be able to go to school. I get depressed. I'm gaining weight. I'm just having a really rough time. I find wow. And that thing is the big escape for me. So I play wow at a very high level in terms of like being in vicious cycle for vanilla and then in TBC being competitive as well, all the way up to like KJ in, you know, before like, or I guess we killed Muru like as it got nerfed and then killed KJ. And then uh, I, I'm like 17 at the time now. And I, my mom is like, you know, you pretty much have to like start getting ready for college and everything. I'm taking all these different exams, do that. Uh, and I'm still kind of lost, still like trying to find what I want to do. Uh, and then eventually, uh, my little brother tells me about a game called a league of legends. And he's like, you need to play this. It's like in beta and stuff. And I'm like, uh, I don't know, man, any game that's called lol has to be shitty and it's free. And I'm here playing. Wow. And so it's like not a, not really yeah. a great comparison. I mean, um, yeah, people don't realize that back then, uh, free to play games did not have a good reputation, right? Like if you, you heard it was free to play, you thought it was terrible. like, one of those really bad yeah. pay to win Chinese games or something. Exactly. Or you thought like the best play to free to play game that was out there was uh, RuneScape. Right. And even then, half of it's like gated by a subscription. So that was like the best that you had, right? The, the flash, brow flash browser game. Um, and so you could like play it for free up until a certain point. And then there's like professions and shit that were you know, not able to unlock. But yeah, so hearing it was like free to play and all that, I was like, eh, nah, nah. So eventually I gave it a try. And that's what really pulled me away from WoW at the time that like uh, Wrath of Lich King was really, really like going downhill for me like no more gladiator from twos um that like trial all those things i was just like uh you know all this stuff is kind of just bad for me i'm like falling away from that game anyway and then i started to play league and that like sucked me in then i went to uh uci for college and joined their club for league of legends because i was a transfer student didn't really have any friends made friends there uh played in their tournament, won their tournament, wanted to focus on my studies. And then uh, for the next quarter, I ended up casting the tournament, which took more effort than if I had actually just played in it. So it uh, you know, was harder on my studies. But uh, then I met a guy named Ankle Spankin while I was casting one of the tournaments over the summer uh, for different colleges because you know casting was kind of a new thing. Did that and then he was like, hey, you should do YouTube. You're really funny. You're really charismatic. You're really good at the game. You could be as good as me, if not better. So I see the potential. So he taught me how to do YouTube, which was literally just slap a video up there. Yeah. My YouTube channel <laughs> still exists. Lol's Irene still exists. Like I have guides that have like hundreds of thousands of views and I got like 32,000 subscribers in two months. And then what happened was I told my mom like, hey, I kind of want to not go back to college. I want to focus on this. I think I have an opportunity here. And she said, um, just take a break for a year and promise me if you're not famous by the by next year you'll go back because you can take like a year off right yeah, yeah. you can do the break you can like yeah. delay it. i did that yeah yeah and so 
So I did that. And then in the two months, getting like 32,000 subscribers, applied to Riot. Riot had me do an interview. Uh, and then they told me, hey, you you work here in four weeks, make your way up here, like all that. And so that's really how I got into that. That's kind of like the whole timeline for me is hopping from game to game to f- figure out competition, figure out esports. Uh, like com- were, the competitive were you in acting with, at wow. some point? I feel like yes, acting I wasn't, is, I wasn't is in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't actor at the time. Happen? Where did that even Which come one? from? Oh God, I was originally becoming a psychology major because I was suicidal, and my child psychologist basically saved my life. And I wanted to do for other people what he had done for me, because um, I felt like that was a righteous cause or something that I really wanted to do and uh, like give back. And I just found out that you know I'm just so it's so. It's so hard to even help people when it's very hard to still help yourself. Uh, I was agoraphobic, afraid of uh, public places every time. Uh, so I don't know if you guys know what ulcerative colitis is, but it's like you have a, a my entire large intestine, like I said, is scar tissue, which means that I'll have blood in my poop. I'll have runny poop. Like it, it's really bad pain, uh, internal bleeding. It's just awful. Um, it's debilitating. If you get anxious, then you put that anxiety in your stomach, which just makes it worse. Because, you know, people talk about getting nervous and shit. And they're like, oh, you're going to get an ulcer. It's like literally my entire intestines is already ulcers. So if I get anxious, I put it in my stomach. And then that actually makes it even worse. So if you get anxious that you have to use the bathroom and you don't know where the bathroom is when you go someplace new, that's going to make you more likely to have to use the bathroom, which can cause doomsday scenarios where you like actually just shit your pants. Right. So. Uh, I became agoraphobic. I didn't want to go anywhere unless I knew where a bathroom was. Friends want to go to the mall. I have to look up where the bathroom is relative to the entrance immediately. That, those types of things. So when I became an actor, it was because I was just holed up in my room. I was doing uh, homeschool for so long. I started to do psychology classes at uh, the college when I was in my first two years. And I just, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. I was just so miserable, so depressed, so sad, so fucked up, and I just didn't know what to do with myself. And my mom, like bless her heart, she had no idea what to really do with me either. And so she thought that, you know, I'm getting D's and F's in all my classes. Like I'm actually just getting D's and F's in all my classes. Um, after two years of that, uh, she's like, you should try out for the Actors Academy at Maricosta College the community college and i was like i i guess i'll do it she said like do it for me just give it a try and i got in and i don't know if that was like by my own way or anything like that but she knew the teacher tracy who tracy williams who's absolutely amazing and i don't know if my mom pulled some strings because i definitely was not a good actor the acting academy uh picked me up which is a very intensive summer program and it made me feel like i had a sense of belonging with all of the other people who were learning how to do acting. Acting is kind of like a semi-cult in some way, right? You do like, you do different activities that are like meditation or like neutral mask stuff where you're just like a, a reacting being. And there's like a kind of like a cult like thing to it to some degree, like I was saying. And it's a, so, so basically it just got me out of the house to do the acting academy. Uh, I got all A's in it, which made me feel good. And then I changed my major to acting in Shakespearean literature. And my, uh, my grades went to straight A's from there. And 
I remember the college actually said that I have to go on academic probation. They're kicking me out because I have all D's and F's for the first two years. And I appealed and said, hey, I just did the summer program. I got all A's in it. Please give me like another chance. And they did. And I got all A's for the rest of my college career. The next two years, the next uh, year and a half at UCI, this is all 4.0. And then you can do a thing called academic renewal, which gets rid of all of your old grades uh, as long as they're more than two years old. So what happened was I did two years of straight A's, wiped my previous two years at the beginning, and then applied to UCI with a 4.0. Right. Uh, and, and I went there for acting, uh, initially, but then I went, you know what? I feel like I'm well enough now. Like my, my AA is in acting. Uh, I feel like I'm well enough now that I can actually go back to my original goal of wanting to help people. And so I went to UCI for cognitive psychology for, uh, things like neurochemistry and brain science and, uh, brain psychology. Uh, and so that was something that I, uh, felt like was the right move for me then. And that's where the acting kind of fits in is acting was the thing that got me out of the house, off of WoW, off of League, into uh, an actual environment where I was feeling like I was a human being again in a place where in my life, I felt like I was just an absolute mutant. You know, being told that you have ulcerative colitis and uh, or Crohn's disease, they had actually misdiagnosed me at first. Um, having a doctor tell you that and you're very young you're like 14 years old um i actually sat there and i was like i wish he told me i had cancer because at least i know what that is and what it does to you because i've just been in constant pain shitting blood no idea what's going on with me right and the dog that eventually i learned that what it was all about and it was just so miserable for so long i couldn't maintain the friendships i had before i couldn't go to school after my freshman year so i lost all my high school friends uh didn't really have people come over or anything like that so i really just created all my relationships online from that point onward and that for me was acting was the thing that finally got me out of that place where i just felt like i was a mutant and i didn't know anybody else who had what i had it was very hard to explain to normal people that like hey, I have to go to the bathroom in the middle of this movie five times. Hey, if we're on a road trip, I have to go to the bathroom multiple times on the way, right? Yeah. It, it's very disruptive and I didn't want to be a burden to other people and like disrupt their trip constantly, right? People are going to talk about it and they're like, damn, he has to go to the bathroom frequently. Like people are going to say things, right? And I was just so scared of that. I was scared of being judged. I didn't really know anybody who had dealt with anything like me. Um, there are things like ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease help groups, which are like people who have that illness or have uh, or are in remission or are struggling with it. Go to a group to talk about things or how they adapt to stuff. Um, because I mean, how I, I was 15 years old, 14 years old, and I had a colonoscopy and endoscopy. I had a tube up my ass and down my throat. And it's like, I don't know anybody else who's like had that type of thing at my age. Um, and being told that like I'm going to have to shit into a bag out of my side for the rest of my life eventually at some point um, was like, I don't know how to cope with that. So yeah, I was incredibly depressed, suicidal, attempted multiple times, and acting was the thing that kind of got me out of all of that because it got me to socialize, feel like I had purpose, 
felt like I could be somebody else and that I was good enough that I could do things like a normal person, not just be a mutant all the time or feel like I can't be completely understood. Um, so that's where acting fit into all of that for me. Yeah. It was the transitioning period for me that really, and it did have a large impact on me. In fact, I would not be the person I am today uh, without it. Yeah, that's super interesting. The Because, yeah, I, I guess when you're that age, I, I think I read somewhere that uh, kids growing up, why they feel like everything is the end of the world is because up until that point for them, that is the biggest problem they've ever faced. So mm-hmm. especially for someone like you, who you've, especially with a weird niche kind of disease that, that no one else knows what that is. Like it, yeah. it's not only is it actually pretty serious, it actually is the biggest problem you've ever faced. Yeah, so most people's yeah. biggest problem in high school is that the girl they like doesn't like them, you know? <laughs> so it's, uh, which still does hard. feel like the end of the world it's, because they've never experienced that before. Yeah. It so, yeah. does feel like that for a lot of people. So for me, it was very hard for me to feel like I was understood. And that's why to this day, like in my relationships with people, I like need to feel understood. I need to feel like not judged. Um, and that's one of like the biggest things for me when it comes to where I work or what I want to do. Um, because I'm not like everybody else in the same, in the same like vein, right? Like I'm like constantly fatigued. I'm constantly having issues, um, that I may not even want to talk about. Right. Like, for example, I would rather be seen because I'm like, there's times that I've been like late to the podcast before where it's like. I'm actually having issues, but I would rather you think that I was uh, irresponsible and healthy than sick and incapable. So I won't tell you, right? So I'd just be like, oh, I'm late because of X, Y, or Z. Um, and lie. Because I just feel like I would rather be seen that way instead of have people tiptoe around me and treat me differently. right? I'd rather be seen as like stupid or like clumsy than sick because at least i can control that perception <laughs> to some degree so that was something that like i still cope with or try to like be better about even though i'm like 32 it's still something that you know does affect me to some degree so understanding is something that i really feel like i need right off the bat um from people and that's why i gravitate towards people who like definitely have a lot of empathy yeah. um, I mean, those are those are like the formative years of your life. Uh, oh yeah. Has acting? How has acting impacted you? Because you said like impact uh, acting has kind of shaped who you are nowadays. Is is that like your personality wise or stream wise or like how you act? How, what do you mean by that? So I've thought about this and I've been like, you know, people are asked like, oh, do you wish that you like never had ulcerative colitis? And Part of me wants to say yes, but the other part of me wants to say, I don't think I would like, I don't think me now would like the person I would be if I never had it. Because I think if I never had it, I never would have been humbled. I wouldn't have had like as much empathy as I have. And I very much so value that um, as much understanding, forgiveness. Uh, and I think it would have made me a person that I wouldn't like, that this me would not like. So obviously, if I was that person, I would probably like myself. But yeah, when people ask me about it, I I definitely think that like acting as well helped me uh, get to that point where I could cope with the empathy and not uh, make a mistake or you know uh, go through with like a suicide. So that's something where I uh, I know it's a little heavier topic, yeah. but 
it's uh it's definitely affected me in a way where i feel like i like myself uh and i don't think i would have liked the person that i would have become if i didn't have my illness or didn't take acting yeah, the chat's, chat's saying alternate timeline bullies Irene. <laughs> like yeah, another, I mean, to, to some yeah. degree, I, I think that it would have been a lot harder for me to like kind of stay away from the uh, the normal stuff that like, obviously, like I was I was still nerdy, but I don't think it would have opened my eyes to one of my biggest strengths, which is empathy. And I think I would have just been still like ignorant, would have said things that would have offended people all the time. Um, as opposed just, to what we do now, when yeah, we I just say mean, like, things that definitely don't. <laughs> I'm just people. saying, like you know, offend people all the time, yeah, not yeah. some of the time. So, <laughs> so for for that, I, I feel like I would have been a, I would have been a bigger dick. You know, yeah. I think I would have been a big dick. Uh, the yeah. kind of like, no, I, I, I get that. myself. I'm like, I think that. What the fuck? Why would you agree with that? No, I'm just <laughs> that <laughs> i can see the dick yeah i, I, can, I, can, see I can see that yeah, that makes sense no i think I, I think i'd be a bigger dick because i don't think i would give people like I, I would judge a lot faster i think that i would um not not have uh the tempered uh the stop where i'm like you don't really know what's going on with people all the time right like that thing because it's very different to stop and think oh i don't know what's going on with people and having the normal thought of like oh they you know they could just be having a bad day my thoughts now are like, they could be very sick. They could be like, if you tell someone like, oh, hey, you look great. If you lost weight, you don't know if they've been fucking starving themselves because they've been going through a breakup or if they have depression and want to kill themselves. So saying something like, oh, you look great when they're actually suffering can actually be harmful because I've had that happen to me. So it's like I, I temper those things and be like, even though you want to give a compliment of some kind, sometimes it's not the appropriate thing to say. And some people wouldn't understand why. It would just be like, it's a compliment. Like, you know, but somebody could look better in your opinion because they're doing something harmful if they have anorexia, bulimia, right? Like you're supporting them and you're, you're actually, you're supporting that in some way, shape or form and saying it's good for them, uh, which only perpetuates bad things. So I'm very conscious of those types of things. Uh, and I, I try to watch where I step when, especially in like personal relationships. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I get where you're coming from with the, I feel like that's the good way to look at things uh, or to come to yeah. uh, deal with a lot of things that, that might have been kind of shitty when they happened or when you find out about them or you have to deal with them is that uh, mm -hmm. eventually if you can turn that into a positive or you can like things about that that, that changed you. Like uh, on my end, uh, when, when I was doing my pro snowboarder thing before mm -hmm. uh, everything, uh, literally... The first year when I was starting to see progress, completely shattered my entire knee uh, and had to get surgery, spent like a year relearning how to walk and everything that led to like further surgeries down the line and, and such. And, and a lot of people were, would always like uh, at that time, like, oh man, you must be super bummed because like it changes your trajectory as a professional snowboarder. It changes like sets you back mm -hmm. a year and and like you're, you're going to have like to this day, like I still have a little bit of like like issues with that knee and it swells up from time to time and things like that. But I always like to look back at it these days as, uh, man, if that never happened to me, the way I was acting before was not healthy in that. Like I was, I was just the way I was approaching life just in general was just like, I, I just felt unbreakable. So I, I would take like crazy risks. I would, I would not go 
like be healthy, eat healthy at all. I would mm-hmm. not go to the gym. I just, <laughs> I, I was just in that mode of, oh, I'm invincible. I can do anything I want. Uh, and and then uh, that happened and I had to suddenly start learning to take care of myself better. Realize like, okay, you know, sometimes you got to manage risks, you know, you got to look at things better because before that I would do a lot of things and be like, YOLO, you only live once or you're just going to send it. And, and uh, it taught me a lot of how to approach things in a more intelligent way than just jumping head first without thinking. And uh, yeah, so I, I do feel like I can relate to that, uh, you know, sometimes like really shitty things happen, but then you look back and you think, oh, you know, now that nowadays I look back and I think, man, at least, yeah, it really got me. That was when I started going to the gym properly. I started eating healthy. I started actually looking after myself and trying to be more of an adult instead of like that kid that, uh, that, that quit university and went snowboarding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it start, I started actually planning things out and being, trying to be more, more responsible. So yeah. Um, but yeah, back to, back to you. Cause this is the Zyrene, uh, the Zyrene <laughs> hour. Um, so you ended up at Riot. Right, so we got, yep. we got up to that stage. You ended up at Riot. Um, you were one of the early employees, right? Like, uh, or early uh, casters, at least. Yeah, like, like 2014. Very, it was yeah. me, Rivington, uh, Freak, Jack, Kobe, and I was the fifth one who got introduced, and then Dash was on the desk. Yep. Uh, so I was one of the first three analyst com- analytical commentators at North America, at least, right? There's obviously something you can do and be like, you know, in Europe and all that. I actually think I was originally hired to go to Europe to replace uh, uh, Jeff Kaplan. I think it was his name. Jason Kaplan. That's his name. Jason Kaplan. Yeah, so that, that whole period of time with the, the riot castes and everything was... Uh, it, it was super interesting, at least from someone watching from the outside, because uh, I feel like that whole period was the time when casting was kind of like this new job. Or new thing that was kind of blowing up in the at least in the esports scene, and a lot of people were going from YouTube to being employed by companies to do things like that was the era of like Husky Starcraft as well back in the day, days for people that listened to Starcraft commentaries online and such. Um, and I do remember that a lot of Riot casters at that time they were they were starting to try to branch out to do their own thing, but they couldn't. Because uh, of how strict the right contracts were and such, and and uh, it's not like these days where every like a lot of them are slowly transitioning to being hired contractors. Um, back then, they were like full blown riot employees and very strict mm-hmm. uh, with what they could or couldn't do, and mm-hmm. such. Did, mm-hmm. I don't know how much of this you can say, but like, uh, did that play a role in with you like leaving riot and such? Because uh, I, I yeah. know you left riot, but I don't know how much you can say about leaving riot. Yeah, yeah. So um, when it comes to like the freelance stuff, there was always conversations back and forth. Obviously, like you lose some benefits and there's some like uh, bad stuff. Like, or is Riot takes like good care of you to some degree. Um, but they definitely uh, hinder a lot of what you can do. And the freedom is very important to me. Like back then, they really just didn't want to touch you if you were a freelancer. And then now it's like everybody on the team is like a freelancer minus like a few people who are like very much so riot like freak right yeah like azale i think is now a contractor captain flowers has never actually made that transition because i started off as a contractor you have like a blue badge uh if you're a contractor and i was a contractor for two and a half years and then they 
boosted me to Red Badge, which is you now get to put Riot in your name, um, and you're a real Riot employee. Which for some reason there was like some divide where it was like company parties. Even though I have the same hours as everybody else, company parties are only for Red Badges. So it's like they kind of put a carrot on a stick for you to earn the Red Badge and not just be blue. And I was blue for like two and a half years. Um, And then I realized later after we came red that blue was better. as long as you had Riot play your game, right? Or play games with you. Because um, you would just be like, hey, I want to go do this or that. And they'd be like, sorry, your red badge, like your salaried, uh, instead of like, you know, monthly or all that stuff, a daily pay or whatever it was. Um, and they, uh, it, it definitely restricts you more. And like, you can see it with like, I think the Mr. Beast event um, that happened recently oh, yeah. with, with League of Legends. Yeah, with Doublelift, where he said that like they blocked Bjergsen from going, because uh, my roommate Captain Flowers told me that that X, Y, and Z person were coming to that event. I was like, "Oh shit, that sounds lit!" And when I watched it, I was like, "Wait, I don't see these people here." And it's like Riot blocked them from going. So Riot definitely like tries to quality control, uh, or tried to at least to some degree, and I think they do still try to control the things that they control and have complete control over them and that was one of the big issues for me is uh let's i'll put it this way um the way that things went with the uh like my career was i started to do things like i got picked up because i had like a youtube channel and stuff too right uh as soon as i talked to them they were like you can't monetize your youtube channel anymore you have to stop and i was like but like if I build my brand outside and then bring it in, it's just more viewers. And they were like, no, like if you want to do something like a YouTube guide, talk to our content creation team and do it with them, right? Make it a Riot product. Make the product for them. So even though I wasn't a Rioter and I was still Blue Badge, they still wanted me to do all of those things for them. Um, which to me was really strange because I was just like, when all chat came out and it was like Dash and uh, Zell and Jessica Negri, I was just like, you're bringing in Jessica Negri to do a show for you constantly as a guest and you encourage her to do things outside and then you tell like Zell not to, right? And it just feels really like a double standard where you're telling somebody, keep building your brand, do those cosplays outside. Those are awesome. They're going to get you more fans and the more fans will watch the show. Um, And when they tell Zell, they're like, hey, we own you. You kind of do the show for us. Don't do other outside stuff because it could be a brand liability, right? If you go do stuff outside that we can't control, you could be shooting us in the foot, right? And I remember I got pulled aside for many different things because there were, I think there were a few people who like really didn't like me. So I had a, a lot of like conversations where it was like, wait, what? This like, I got pulled aside for like a tweet or two that had nothing to do with what they think it does. Um, like I said something where it was like my my girlfriend squeezes the toothpaste from the center. She doesn't think about how I have to use it. And now I can't stop thinking she's a hedonistic monster. <laughs> um, and then everybody's like tagging their, their SO and they're like, this is what you do to me. It's like, you have to like push it from the bottom. And then when they squeeze it in the middle, they're just like, oh, it's the best squeeze. Um, I got pulled aside for that tweet and told that it's not appropriate. And I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? And they're like, they're like, well, you're you're throwing your girlfriend under the bus. It looks uh, it's a not a good look. I was like, like what? She's like signed off on this. It's totally fine. It's a joke. And like 
They're like, yeah, but people don't know your relationship. And I was like, wow, okay, holy shit. And then I got pulled aside another time for, uh, th- this was kind of like the one that really, for me, was the, the breaking point was I got pulled aside for an interaction with a non-employee outside of work hours, not on work property. So I got pulled aside by people at Riot in like official positions for like HR and stuff for an interaction being policed that is not during work hours, not on work property with a non-employee and has nothing in it that would be like, you know, I'm tarnishing Riot's name, right? So that was the one for me where I was just like, okay, this is like giga police. And I understand this was around like the Kotaku time and stuff like that, right? Where they had like all these like scandals and shit. So they're just trying to look for anything, anything. And that for me was really uh, off-putting. That was something that I, I don't want to come to work and be treated in a way where I feel like even if I do a good job, I have to have like a talking to afterwards. Or if I have a successful tweet, I have to get talked to afterwards, right? Like I constantly started to feel anxious when I would do something good or that the community liked because I thought my boss was going to talk to me about it. They started being trained that way where it was like, if my Reddit thread reaches the top of Reddit, my boss is, is mad at me. So that for me was really, uh, <laughs> really scary. Yeah. Um, and so I actually did just feel anxious pretty much every day. And I remember after I left, the next day I woke up and I was just like, wow. Like I, I was like, I really don't have to go into work today. And I just felt this feeling where I was like, this is what it feels like to not be anxious. And I forgot what that felt like. I actually had forgotten what that felt like over the course of those years. Um, so it was really bad. And, and I remember just feeling relieved, which is one of the reasons that I haven't really jumped at working at another place yeah. because I just felt like it, one of the relationships you can have, the most important relationship you can have is with your boss and then it can control you uh, your job, your career trajectory, all that stuff. And it was just so relieving to just be in a position where I was like, I actually was so calm. I woke up, I was like, hey. I had to like stop myself from like, you know, wanting to like push myself to like go take a shower, get in the car, go to work type thing. I was like, yeah. Wow. Like I literally have all the time that I want for me. And that's like why I haven't really jumped in anything else because it's just been, I've been enjoying not feeling anxious or that I have to like answer to people uh, or explain myself to people every single day. So I haven't really talked too much about like me leaving Riot in general. Yeah, because I remember like uh, the threads around that time, I think. A lot of people were just like, "Oh, he he woke up late to Worlds at one time, and he that that's that's yeah. the reason why they've they've left him ever since." Or, or they were just like jumping to massive conclusions. People, I, I don't really talk about it because I felt like there's no real win here for me. Where I'm like, if I talk shit about my old boss, and then somebody sees it, am I? And they want to like hire me? Am I? I'm no longer the guy who's like they want to hire. I'm the guy who could potentially talk shit about them when I leave, yeah. right? Like it, it's not a good look to do those types of things. Obviously, I'm just talking about it here because I've never really talked about these things before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the uh, the whole uh, man, just all of that was so stressful. And I just remember people are just gonna like 
you know, take it to an extreme. And uh, I just felt like it wasn't worth it. It's not worth the potential anxiety. Um, and so I just kind of let people believe what they wanted to believe. Some people believed like that I was fired. Some people believe that I was let go because of the, uh, the sleeping. Yeah. And I'm sitting there and I'm just like, that was six months before my like departure from Riot. And they are connected in no way. Right. That's the thing. It's just like it's but people want to believe that because they think that there's like they're like they're like he was good at his job. Like what happened? Right. And it, and if he left, why isn't he like putting them on full blast? I'm like, you put somebody on full blast like that. It doesn't help you get a job in the future. It doesn't make you look good. You can leave for your like own reasons. But good Lord, it was. Uh, I mean, it's the NBA uh, star yeah. problem, right? It happens a lot in like sports and NBA is. Uh, yeah. People get let go. They can't always straight away say, unless they're Kevin Durant or a superstar that has the leverage. Yeah. Like, they can't always say, oh, yeah, this is why this team let me go. Or this is why I left the team because yeah. they don't want to be marked forever on their career check. Mark. Like, oh, yeah, this is a guy who we can't let go of because or if we get him and he, he doesn't like it, he might say bad stuff about us and he'll be a brand risk. Yeah, they actually, uh, when I was leaving, they wanted me to sign something that said a, a different NDA because there's like, NDA that's non-disclosure ab- agreement which is uh like you can't reveal information internally like oh a new champion's coming out like they can actually like fire you for that if you do that right so there's that NDA and then there's non-disparagement agreement which says you can't talk poorly about us our vendors or anybody else that's affiliated with us in the future and they offered a lot of money and I didn't sign it cuz I was like I value being able to speak about things eventually uh at my own pace at my own time when I want to. And so that's something where it's like not going to get in trouble for this. Uh, but yeah, no, it's a, it's a really stinky situation, but at the same time, I just, I, 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 I understand why people would jump to the conclusion. Cause like I said, people are like, Oh, he was really good at his, his job. Some people are like, Oh, he's my favorite caster. Oh, he seemed really motivated to do better and tweeted like even like a week or two ago that he was like, really looking forward to like nailing this season um and then like what happened like they're speculating all these different things uh but i'm just like when people think that uh there can't be multiple things going on at the same time i'm just like it's kind of narrow you're kind of trying to make things fit your own narrative and when i look at like the uh the whole situation where people are like oh it was because the world's thing i'm like they paid my hefty salary for another half year to just let me go in march and doesn't really line up but people feel like also oh god there's that other narrative too where people are like ever since that he was being phased out quote oh, yeah i like, remember that yeah I remember. Like, that was he, one of the main do- ones actually that was the one yeah the where he, they're like he was doing less and less they were like really like for me i'm like you know to some degree i'm like maybe that is true i don't know i didn't really keep track of my assignments but i do know that there were like people like my boss who like really didn't like me for many different reasons so if that was something that was going on there, then it's a little more targeted. But at the end of the day, it's uh, it's not what led to it. Because if I guess in my opinion, I'm like, if Riot really felt like that was the last straw and they wanted to just get rid of me there, they would have just done it instead of slowly phase somebody out and paid their salary. Because I was paid the same amount of money regardless of the number of games or weeks I cast because I was salaried. Yeah. So it's like, it's not 
intuitive or healthy or good for them. And in fact, I think that if they had let me go uh, at like the, the whole like sleeping in thing, if they'd let me go at that event, then people would have understood. They would have been like, oh, he didn't show up to work. People get fired for not showing up to work all the time. Right. So, yeah. So that's pretty, that's pretty much all that. Yeah. It's interesting you, you talked about the, the difference in the stress levels and such once you start, because I feel for a lot so of people, insane. they don't so re- realize what it's like to, to not be stressed if they've been stressed for a really long time or under a lot of pressure for a long time. Because yeah. it's something it I. Like- coming yeah. up for air afterwards it feels it, like coming up for air it's something i really noticed when i uh transitioned uh from the snowboarding thing uh out to other stuff and then back again there's that difference where even just really simple things for where for i think a good five years or something i got to sleep as much as i wanted every day because it was my own schedule and i stuck to my schedule pretty well i saw yeah now and then you gotta go drinking with the friends and things but then after those five years changed how I looked at sleep for the rest of my life. Because then after that, I realized like, wow, when you sleep really good every night, life is good. Like you, you wake up energetic every day and such. And then um, yeah. uh, after that, and, and I s- stopped doing the snowboard thing, and I went back to kind of doing other content things and other th- things. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, this, this sucks. I, I hate not sleeping enough now because <laughs> like, yeah. I know what I'm missing. But it's, it's the same with like stress levels and everything. I think people really get used to being stressed or to not having enough sleep yeah. and, and such. Your body, you just adapt to it and you don't realize yeah. how shitty you feel until that goes away and you're, you're no. like freed of that. And like I was saying how like, uh, you know, the policing was happening and it just made me like really anxious and stuff, right? Um, I remember when I was getting like pulled aside for like interactions I had with like non-employees, non-work hours, et cetera, like that type of thing. Um, I was just like, wow, I like, I am a public figure at all times. Anything I say like represents my employer, whether I want it to or not. Um, and that's why like, you know, after I, I had left Riot, I went on Thorin's show at one point and said like being a public figure doesn't really resonate with me. Like having that responsibility constantly feels fucking terrible. And I know this because uh the like interactions i'm getting policed for i'm sitting there and i'm going wow i have like a target on my back like somebody and you know i I think i know who i'm like somebody really doesn't like me um and they're trying to come after my job because i sat there and i was like if somebody saw this happen and they were my friend they would come to me and say, hey, I saw this. I felt like it was a little out of line. You know, maybe like, you know, not have that happen. I'm, I'm looking out for you, man. Um, so if you were my friend, you would say that. If you were one of my coworkers, you probably would have said that too if you were like a close person, right? You would have been like, hey, man, saw this. Or you would have told like, you know, our manager and then they would have had that conversation with me. If you were an average Redditor, you would have gone on Reddit and posted, here's what Zyrene said, right? You would have tried to farm karma because there's no really like, there's nothing that backfires for you there. Um, people downvote it, whatever. Like people upvote it, awesome. So if you were my friend, you would have told me. If you were my coworker, you would have come to me. If you were uh, a random person on the internet that like was just like a leak person, you probably would have posted on Reddit and tried to like stir the drama pot. But if you were somebody who was 
who disliked me and was trying to come for me and my job or even my comfort level at work, you would go to HR, right? And it was funny because I talked to some other people too and they were just like, they don't even know how to like report other people for things. So this was somebody that had like a connected line and I know I'm, I know who it is. I'm like, I know this person really dislikes me because they, they thought I was hitting on their girlfriend at one point and I wasn't. And it was like this, I don't know. There's some weird shit like that, that like drama like that follows you. And even if you have like a confrontation with the person, they just opt out of it. They say, I don't want to be a part of this and they don't have to listen to you. Right. They can just hate you for however long they want to. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was really weird. Cause I was like, dude, this, the person who did this is obviously trying to be malicious, right? They didn't, they don't know me. They didn't come to me. They didn't like go to even my manager directly. Like they didn't go to Reddit. Like it's like, what the fuck? So yeah, it was, um, it was weird because when somebody who doesn't like you or like really thinks you're weird or like you did something wrong, I'm just like, this is so ass dude. I just, I hate that feeling of like, you didn't really do anything wrong. They have a bad idea. And then it just starts getting you in trouble left, right, and center. And, uh, man, it's just, it's awful. It's awful. Yeah, it's stressful. It's stressful, dude. Yeah. Being a public figure, I ain't, I ain't about that shit, especially on that level. All right, guys, you know what time it is. Crutch discomfort hurting your game. Fear no more. The kings of crutch comfort, Manscaped, have spent two years designing the most comfortable boxer briefs out there. Sleek, soft, comfortable, and flexible, the brand new Boxes 2.0 from Manscaped take your balls to the royal ball throne. The global leaders in below-the-waist grooming have the lawnmower 4.0 for the trimming, so you can wear the Boxes 2.0 for the chilling. They even trademarked the jewel pouch, so you know it's serious. I think it's time you invest in your family jewels, so let your bulge breathe and get 20% off plus free shipping by using our code PREPARED at manscaped.com. Let's say you're on a date and your partner catches that manscaped on the waistband of your underwear, it's almost guaranteed to raise some eyebrows and act like a billboard on the highway to Pleasure Town. This is thanks to the Lawnmower 4.0, the best electric trimmer for below-the-waist grooming. The fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to the advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 is also waterproof and has a 4000 LED spotlight to make a more precise shave. And beyond ball cleaning, Manscaped is focused on ball comforting with the new Boxes 2.0. Boost confidence everywhere you are, knowing you're wearing the absolute best pack for your sack. These boxes are a game changer and features include the jewel pouch, a pouch designed to cradle your balls in their own special space, lined with perforated performance fabric to keep them well ventilated. Is this heaven on earth? More like heaven on girth. The micromodel fabric is buttery soft and breathable, keeping your cucumber cool. Walk, run, strut, these moisture-wicking boxes breathe without breaking a sweat. The front fly opening gives easy access and makes bathroom breaks quick and efficient. Multiple ways for entry and passage for your package. You can even choose from an arrangement of designs and colors and sizes, ranging from small to triple XL for all of my guys out there. B 
Be proud of your underwear and wear the Manscaped waistband with a badge of honor. Your balls deserve it. So get 20% off plus free shipping with our code PREPARED at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with our code PREPARED at manscaped.com. So thank you, Manscaped, for sponsoring the podcast. And I can say straight up, uh, all the boxes I own right now are actually micro-modal. Uh, it's a great fabric. I love micro-modal underwear. So I actually, you know, these boxes 2.0 are actually really amazing. So thank you, Manscaped, for sponsoring the podcast. And let's get back to the show. So uh, you, you didn't like being a public uh, figure. Then you, you transitioned from that into being a streamer, if I recall roughly correctly. <laughs> I mean, right. I, I had done just chatting streams and stuff like that in the past. Instead, I transitioned to like wanting to be back at like what I was doing as like a YouTuber, yeah. which was being a teacher, right? Like for me, the reason I did commentary in the first place was I wanted to help people get better at League of Legends, right? The reason I started my YouTube was I wanted to help people get better at League of Legends. Um, my parents are college professors, and I just am very passionate about having people learn, improve, get better at things. And one of the most satisfying things for me is to watch someone succeed with the tools I've given them, right? To watch them improve, to watch them reach heights uh, that like even you couldn't reach, right? To have them surpass you is one of like the most satisfying things for me. Um, I actually, this is something a lot of people don't know about, is behind the scenes, I actually started a caster training group because when I became a professional um, from an amateur, there were all these buzzwords that I had no idea what they meant. I remember having a feedback session at one point. I did a practice cast. And then one of the feedback points from another caster was, uh, you, you're, it's good. You just need more narrative. And I was like, okay, how do I do that? And he's like, you just need more narrative. And I was like, well, what's narrative? And he's like, it's narrative. You just need more of it. And I was like... <laughs> I was Use like, the word in shit. a sentence. <laughs> yeah, so I actually had to figure out on my own what all these buzzwords or things that came naturally to other people um, meant. Because there's like a spectrum, right? There are not a spectrum. There's like four boxes, right? And there's competent, incompetent, conscious, and unconscious, right? And so there's four types of people. There's the people who are consciously competent, consciously incompetent, unconsciously competent, and unconsciously incompetent. The unconsciously incompetent people are the ones who are bad and they don't know that they're bad right? They don't know they're bad. They don't think they're bad, but they are. The people who are unconsciously competent are like your pro players who don't know how to explain something to you. It's the person who's like, they try to teach you how to play Lee Sin and they're just like, oh, you could have killed him there. And you're like, well, wait, how do you know that? And he's like, you just know, just hit, hit, hit Q, just hit Q, right? Just aim, aim it at him, right? They can't explain to you what their actual thought process is because it's so natural to them. So they are the unconsciously competent. Then there's the consciously incompetent people. And those are the people who know that they're bad. And those are the ones who are most likely to want to improve, right? And then there's the consciously competent people who are good at things, know that they're good at things and can tell you exactly why they're good at them and how to, and how to get better yourself. So I, try, I strive to be consciously competent in a lot of things that I do. Um, and when it came to casting, I became very meta about it. So I started doing casting trainer cor tra training courses to people who had reached out to me as amateur casters. Um, I ended up helping a bunch of people. I think like Pyrotechnics. Oh, I know him. He's a nice guy. Fish, Froskurin, uh, Medic, uh, who I think was actually originally Sona, uh, Excoundrel, uh, oh God, um, 
Fedius. Uh, I've worked with a lot of people from other games too. Uh, Kangas, Captain Flowers. I actually did reviews with Captain Flowers before he worked at Riot and helped him. Uh, when it came to Vedius, Vedius actually cast for a different game called Vainglory, which was a mobile game. Uh, and I worked with him, and I was like, it doesn't matter if I don't know Vainglory. The concepts of being a commentator, a play-by-play, or a analyst are, transcend just that. And I understand genre differences, right? If you're being a fighting game, com- fighting game commentator, it's different. If you're a League of Legends commentator, a lot of the times you don't have to build suspense. But if you're something like a CSGO commentator, and it's something where somebody's in a clutch round, economy of uh, language means a lot. Saying things like, it's a 1v5. Rounds the corner, sees nothing, turns right, nothing as well, plants the bomb. This is the moment. Right? You know, it's like yeah. doing those types of things build stakes. You don't do that in League of Legends almost ever, right? League of Legends, you never have that fucking moment. But I understand the difference in commentary style based on the game that you're playing or game that you're commentating. And so knowing that in different techniques, I was able to teach people in other video games how to commentate. And then eventually Vedius got brought over to League of Legends. So not a lot of people talk about this, but I have helped a fuck ton of commentators behind the scenes before they were professional commentators because I was, I think the only person who actually offered this type of service and it's completely free. I didn't fucking care. It was, I felt like the people who are motivated enough to reach out to me to want to do something like that, I would do that for them. Uh, so yeah, most of the time it was like, you would give me an hour VOD and I was like, okay, whatever duration VOD you give me, be prepared to spend 2x that duration on the actual lesson, right? And that was something that I found a lot of fulfillment in. Um, I eventually stopped doing it because uh, it got to a point where... Uh, it got to a point where... It's <laughs> a uh, chat. I'm, I'm incompetently conscious. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, it, one of, like for when it comes to like I think Riot at one point was just like they were coming to me all the time for amateur caster names for challenger series for collegiate they were asking me all the time for commentator names and then they wanted me to like make a streamlined version of this where it was like hey can you make like a can you help us make like a website where we like can like help talent or write the basics of like what commentary is uh, and how to get better. And I remember just being like, for me, this is a very personalized thing. I think that there's overarching concepts you can get from things like books, like, you know, there's the call of the game and like the casters uh, handbook or something like that. Um, I have them on my shelf back there. Those are like really good resources for starters and understanding it. But when it came to like one-on-one improvement, I was more focused on not getting somebody to be like, oh, I want to be a commentator and I know nothing about it. I was like, I want to help people go from amateur to pro, right? That jump. Because when you're an amateur commentator, what you do is you talk about interactions. When you're an amateur commentator, you go, oh, Jax beats Aurelia because his counter-strike does this, so we'll have to see how this matchup goes, and she's not able to do much damage to him. In the professional scene, you have the benefit of casting a league every week. So you can talk about what this is just to give you guys an example. You're an amateur commentator. You talk about in-game interactions between these guys. When you're a pro commentator and you're casting a league, there's three layers of story for me. There's the out-of-game story, the in-game story, and the player's story. 
The out-of-game story is when's the last time they these teams played each other? Do is there a rivalry? What happened last time? What was picked last time? Right? The out-of-game story that has to do with the stakes. Where are we? Are we at the finals, the semifinals? How did they get here? What's going on there? The in-game story is this guy's been carrying the game on his back. What's going to happen here? What happens to him? Is he still able to do it? Does it flip? And it helps you kind of dictate where you're casting team fights from. If there's a fed Tristana, he's the guy who's going to do damage. When the team fight starts, watch this. They're going after Tristana in the back line. He's going to make a rocket jump backwards. They stop it. What's going on? The carry is down. That type of thing, right? Yeah. Where the in-game story is basically all the stuff that's crafted mostly in the play-by-play, but also uh, in the moment and how the game has been going. If you're out of tune with the players or with the in-game story, it's going to feel like a weird cast. And sometimes you get away from the, play- the in-game story when you're... Uh, having tangents and things like that in the middle of the game. And then the player story is there's a difference between when you're an amateur and you go Jax versus Aurelia, this guy wins the matchup because of this. And then going, this is uh, Viper's Aurelia versus Impact's Jax. They're different, right? Yeah. One of them has like a, a skin for uh, for it off of winning worlds. So it's like, there's a difference with the player story and what they pilot that you don't get as an amateur. And that's the thing that when you're an amateur and you've done it for so long, you build those habits up, but you need to add more. You need to add the depth. You need to add those extra layers to it where this guy's played this champion this many times. This is how good he is at it, but also like where he's played it, what he's done with it. Um, and if it's something that's like a signature champion for him, you can kind of get things like that from like solo queue stats for uh, amateur players, but there's a lot of different elements that you don't get as an amateur caster. You have to almost in order to like get a job nowadays in the casting industry, you have to understand these things and nobody teaches them. In fact, these are all like crafted concepts by myself that I've come up with to try and better teach these things. This isn't anywhere else. It's just where I've been like, this is how I found the best way to teach it. Um, And in my opinion, some of the best calls are usually going to involve all three elements of story, the out-of-game story, in-game story, and player story, where it's like, Yergsen, he's carried the team on his back for three games, and that's going to be it. The Nexus explodes, and now TSM are the champions. Right, like that type of thing, where you've incorporated a player, you've incorporated the story of the game, the series with the 3-0, you've incorporated the stakes and like what they've just won. Um, and the most beautiful poetic calls are usually the ones that involve all three of those. Uh, so those are the ones that make highlight reels. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, you came up during the time when streaming, uh, esports casting and such really wasn't much of a job. And then it over those years, it suddenly became a big job because, uh, um, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily true at least in in i think that's not true in in the east i think that's true here in like america but like starcraft brood war oh yeah, yeah that's, a lot true, of that's true that's right? true like you have like tasteless artosis for like they're they're my grandpa yeah, yeah, like, yeah the, the old school uh yeah casters who did that yeah starcraft casters all the time you had like in control and all those guys too so yeah it's uh like rest in peace um yeah. but yeah you had a lot of people who were already pioneering the craft as a uh a professional for many years but in the the west for like a game that's perceived as something in north america really didn't have that too much you had it here and there um i think smash bros was like one of the other ones that was like kind of big for melee uh commentator wise but yeah, it's uh commentating video games has become more and more of a thing that people uh 
except as real yeah. as video games have become something that people more and more seem to want to watch, yeah. right? Well, I mean, like, why would you commentate over a game when nobody wants to watch a video game? You, you talked about people. the the difference in the East and the West and such. I remember um, specifically because uh, League of Legends Worlds was came to Korea that, that one year the first time when it came to Korea. Mm-hmm. The, the difference between the streamers that do... Uh, that are amateurs and then suddenly transitioning to that pro scene. I, I distinctly remember the League of Legends World Championships came to Korea. And, and at that time, I was just barely following League. And I was just barely getting into it. And I met uh, Frascurin and Pyrotechnics. Uh, literally, that was when they were still amateurs. They weren't employed by anyone. They were just, you know, just casually mm-hmm. uh, putting stuff out there, hoping to transition into, you know, being professional casters. And they were literally in uh, Airbnb, like uh, in Hongdae, just hoping to make that dream one day come true. And he, he was taking meetings with uh, Monte Cristo at the time. And uh, I remember we walked for three hours to try to find McDonald's. They don't ask why. We, we thought we didn't need a map in the middle of Korea. That was a bad idea. Um, and then it was funny to see the transition from that Till a few years later, I was like, "Oh, he, he he's he's casting in Europe now. That's that's cool. That's, that's neat to see, right?" Pyra, yeah, yeah, Pyra. Just just like it, it felt like it was over almost overnight. He went from, "Oh, he, he, I I have no idea who this guy is. He seems cool though." We in his uh, Airbnb in Hongdae, and, and then the next time I know it, oh, he he's employed by Riot now, and I, I guess yeah. this is like a proper thing because even for me back then, I didn't even really know much about casting beyond. That some people mm-hmm. did it did StarCraft casting on um, YouTube and such, and then outside of uh, just knowing that, oh yeah, in Korea that's a really big thing, isn't it? Like the whole StarCraft yeah. thing. It was always like, oh, the Holy Grail is in Korea, where it's a really big scene. But yeah, it was definitely not a big thing outside of that. Yeah, right? not at all. Um, yeah, Pyrotechnic is an interesting guy. I actually really like him. He's very friendly. Um, I think a lot of people dislike him because they think he like can't read the temperature of a room or is overwhelming sometimes like he has a lot of energy and he's very friendly and for a lot of people that ends up being like off-putting sometimes like i remember hanging out with him and i just remember other people would just tell me like you know they're like uh man not again and i'm like what what are you talking about like he's very much like hey guys how you doing like and some people just they don't want to be around that all the time so i think he's like very well intentioned uh but I think the way it was described is like he can't always read the temperature of a room very well, right? He just some doesn't understand when people are like you know uh, trying to relax or whatever, or don't want to do something. He's always very eager and very friendly. So I absolutely adore him. But I think that uh, it, it took him a while to kind of break into the scene because of that. I think some people just were like, you know, oh man, don't really want to work with him. And I think he overcame that, which I was very happy about. Um, he's a He's a, he's a good guy. He's a good dude. I like yeah. him. I like him. He was a nice guy. Um, it's actually funny. You mentioned uh, Monty. Monty is a super, like, well, somebody I really respect a lot. Just not even just how he casts, but, like, how he does things in his life as well. Monty's not somebody who ever, like, spreads rumors or anything like that. You know, he used to work in, like, a law office. So, like, if he, he ever hears anything bad about you, he's just like, I don't believe that. Uh, that's hearsay until I like talk to him or <laughs> you, you tell me something that like directly happened and it's he, he doesn't care he's just like he's not one to spread rumors he don't give a shit so yeah uh, I, I respect him a lot for that type of thing because a lot of people just go into uh, 
spreading rumors and stuff. So I was like, oh, okay. And he also, uh, when he was leaving uh, Korea to, uh, I don't remember if he was going to Overwatch League at the time or what. I think it might have been. Um, when he was leaving Korea, he actually reached out to me and uh, uh, Papa Smithy reached out to me as well to come to Korea and basically quote unquote, like replace Monty on OGN and take me away from Riot. Um, and so I had a job offer in Korea from OGN at one point and I turned it down because I was just like, I don't know, like, uh, well, first things first, actually, it was more like Adderall is kind of illegal in Korea, just in general. And I need that for ADHD. I would have to like change medications and then feel like I could actually still perform and do my job. Uh, so yeah, I, I major ADHD inattentive and that was like, one of the factors for me, I was like, oh, okay, I'm not sure how I would like function. I would have to make this change and then figure out even if I can do the job still. And that was like something that I was like, okay, you know what? They just gave me a raise at Riot too. So uh, I'm going to have to like turn it down for now. Um, and I look back on that and I'm like, yeah, that's actually something I probably should have done. You know, I do kind of regret not taking that job for a few reasons. One is I would have had a different boss Two, I would have been in a different country where it's like one of the last times I could probably do something like that when I don't have to uproot an entire family or a wife or kids, right? I had no like real responsibilities aside from just working at one company and then I would go work for another. Uh, they also told me I could do my YouTube channel. I'm encouraged to do all my other external stuff. I can cast for other video games as long as it's not a direct competitor of OGN. Um, and it was like, yeah, it could do all that stuff. And that's one of the things I probably, that's probably like one of the regrets that I have is I didn't do that. I didn't actually jump on that opportunity because that was really good. Um, I think LS at the time was like, hey, if you come over, like I'll show you around everywhere. Monty was like, yeah, same thing. Uh, Papa, same thing. So that, that's probably one of the opportunities that I think uh, I really fucked up on because I think that was uh, an amazing one that I turned down because one, health reasons. Two, I didn't, think that filling like Monte Cristo's shoes was going to be a uh, an easy thing to do you know <laughs> like yeah, yeah. full respect to him I was just like that is a tall order even if I think I'm a good caster I I'm not Monty I'm not Monty's level I know that you'll be compared to them but I, I mean at, at some point I'm like is it, I guess that's just life and how it works but yeah that was a that was a weird one to have to navigate uh, and I didn't really want to do it because I was already in a good spot but I definitely think it was probably the right, the, the more right choice of what I had chosen at the time. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Monty's a interesting guy. Amazing. I never really great got guy. to meet him that much. I only, I think talked to He's him great. like once or twice uh, when yeah. I was chasing the league scene for a while. Um, but yeah, it's uh, so, so back to the Zyrene story, I guess is uh, you, you quit riot. Somehow you ended up uh at some point in time, you ended up in a content house doing that whole. Oh, that was while thing. I was still at Riot. Was that was while you were still, still at Riot? Right? Yeah. Yeah. How, how did that whole thing happen? Because um, uh, it's kind of crazy. Because thinking back of that group, it was kind of like the the friends of offline TV or what yes. what is known as offline TV now. And uh, I remember, uh, but a lot of those guys now, fast forward to now, they are like much bigger creators than they were back mm -hmm. then. Like, uh, mm -hmm. like. Foosley especially is now like a giant oh, streamer in, in yeah, own right. Yeah. So yeah, how, how did that whole thing happen? Um, that happened where like, uh, I think originally there was a CS:GO player, um, 
or a PUBG player named Chad. I think his he actually Wait, has the, the uh, name is actually Chad. Yeah, I think his uh Twitter handle is actually Chad, like <laughs> just just Chad. Yeah, 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 yeah Chad. It, his thing is the meme, not the country. <laughs> I think it was like a Donald Trump uh, tweet at some point that like added him because it, it was like I think there was a place like Chad, right? That they were having like a or something going on politically with. So uh, yeah, I think he was supposed to be the other member in the house, and then they were looking for because they wanted to like nail down the house. They were looking for another person. I was like, fuck it. I live in this tiny place. Might as well. And then like I looked at the house. It was amazing. Rent was really cheap. Um, and so that's how that started. I was like, fuck it. I'll try. You know, I'll do some content. I'll do some content. You know, I, I think I found like a lot more fulfillment in being on other people's streams and helping them than doing my own. And I think I was the only person in the house who really had that at the time. I jump in on people's like streams and help them or like, you know, it's much easier to do a stream when you have uh extra content that you didn't have to plan uh pop up and so it just relieves a lot of stress on people that was it was a lot of fun to be in there a lot of fun and then like you said a lot of people ended up in like really great places because i mean leslie for example is somebody who like i knew her like before even the we this the clip that like helped her blow up initially which was the whole oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah the guitar yeah the guitar clip yeah yeah the guitar clip like i knew her before that um and so like i knew her when she had like almost no views league of legends and then she started to play like pokemon go and that's when she blew up is when she started doing pokemon go stuff and i actually used to go to the pier with her and kimmy at like 2 a.m to like 6 a.m hunting pokemon like fucking degenerates um and it was like I mean, those are good times those are really good times but it was uh, uh they uh she had like a trajectory that was always kind of ending up in this direction no matter what like she was constantly growing doing yeah, new things and adapting so like i think that a lot of what the, she's done is, is big yeah uh, of all the streamers i know that like because i i saw her kind of in the background in proximity to a lot of all the other big streamers at the time she was just you know mm. in that friendship group so she would pop in from time to time you'd see her but she was still a small streamer at the time when i first uh, yeah. i think saw her on someone else's stream and such but yeah, from day one if you ever tuned in a stream she was grinding like with, mm. with like all the aspects of like trying to grow as a stream just constantly grinding doing like greetings there was at a point in time where she was doing this crab greeting thing every time someone would like sub or something like that and i was like oh, oh man this person's actually really working for it like really yep. really working for it yep there was a time where she was trying to sing i th- okay i forget the song oh god's plan She's trying to sing God's plan all the way through. And if you subbed, uh, she had to start over from the beginning. <laughs> and so she, it took her like hours to get through that. And people would just sub to make her start over all the time. That's so a she good had really, content she had, idea. That is a good content brill- idea. She had brilliant ideas. She's yeah. like one of the first people to ever do sub interviews too. Um, really? Yeah. She's one of the first people to ever do sub interviews. Um, she's very, very smart about these types of things in content. Um, I think initially though, she was like part of a duo. Um, and she was like yeah. the the comic relief she was like you know think about like chip and dale yeah she's like dale right she was like the the silly comic relief and so uh when you're in a duo like that and the other person seems like the leader it's kind of hard to get out of their shadow at the start um and then once you do it turns out on twitch you're just the funny person and so when you're scuffed and you make that your brand it's great and like she she's absolutely killing it i love leslie she's so friendly she's so nice absolutely amazing like 
never had a terrible interaction with her ever. <laughs> even during like even during like really bad times, never had a terrible interaction with her. Um, she's just a sweetheart. Speaking of that, I, I know that was some drama that caused you to leave eventually. Uh, like at, at some point, you you end up leaving that content house or yeah. some well, other then, they, stuff they, happened. Can you like yeah. briefly go? What what happened there? Because yeah, I, don't, I have no idea what actually caused all that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, what ended up happening was uh, this was like a, a whole bunch of drama at the time. Um, I had I had like a bunch of things on my plate. Uh, my girlfriend at the time had actually cheated on me, and I learned about it. Uh, I got pulled into a house meeting. Uh, this was around the time that we were. Adjust- I was adjusting my schedule to also be on uh, Korean time. I think. Okay. Yeah, I was trying to be on Korean time, so I was like having to adjust my schedule, and basically, I was only up during the middle of the night. Um, so I would had a reverse sleep schedule. Learned my girlfriend was cheating on me, and got pulled into a house meeting and told I have uh, like two and a half weeks. For, uh, for us to move to a different place. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, wait, what? Um, what what happened here? Because the previous house meeting, we were like, hey, the lease is up soon. We had a six-month lease. Lease is up soon. What does everybody need for us to renew the lease? And we went around the room, and everybody said their things. And I was like, okay, I can help with that. I can help with that. One person said they wanted to live inside the house because there was like a back house. Um, and I was like, oh, I'll swap rooms with you. That's fine. So like I spent uh, money, time, effort to move my entire room to the back house. And then they moved their room inside the house. Um, and when I was uh, pulled into this meeting where not only do I know, I learned that like uh, or what I did didn't do anything for people and what they, all the effort I put into like keep the house together literally didn't amount to anything i also learned that people already had plans to live in different places so i was like i'm learning about this late from people um so i was really upset because i had put in a lot of effort i literally had at one point one of the members said that like broke down and said their rent was really high and they need to like stream more and stuff and i was like hey my room is really big and really cheap let's take 200 dollars off your rent and add it to mine i think it's a little unfair anyway Right. I think my room is just way too priced. I think we, you know, they set arbitrary prices. Like you rent the house and then people's rooms cost different amounts. I was like, mine's too, mine's too good. And I think people underestimated how awesome it was going to be. Um, so like, it's like to just, you know, if $200 is like, you know, the, the threshold for you, like just, you know, lower yours and like up mine. And so we talked about that. And stuff. so like I've sacrificed money, time, effort, um, and then felt like I wasn't getting a break from anybody because I learned that some of them already wanted to move in with each other and had no plans to like add me. Um, and then also had my girlfriend cheating on me at the time. And so I was just like blown away by this. And then when they did the live stream, they didn't talk about any of that. And they just said that the house is bad. And that was the thing that kind of pushed me over the edge is I was just like, like everybody's lying to me. Like, my my girlfriend's lying to me. She she cheated. Um, they're lying to me about like, or like they're not talking to me about like when. But they, they didn't talk to me like as soon as they learned that they weren't gonna like move or that they were gonna move. And now I have like two two weeks to to move, uh, find a new place and move while I'm on a reverse schedule for Korea. Um, 
I literally had to beg the landlord and pay them individually to let me stay another month so that I could have enough time to have worlds be over and then oh, uh, sw- like swap over schedules and find a new place and then live there. Um, and then they thankfully did. But yeah, the them saying like the house was shit. Um, I ended up having like a stream where I just got really upset and I said stuff like the, they said the house is shit and that's why they're moving. And, and I'm like, the house is shit because you're in it. That's why it's falling apart is because people aren't taking care of it. We had like actual feces on our front lawn for months, months. The air conditioner was like leaking into like somebody else's room. So there was a big fucking bubble on, on the ceiling of all the water that had been coming in from the AC that was above it. Um, I was like, yeah, the house is awesome. Nobody's taking care of it. Um, I remember having to like wash the back porch and there was like worms and stuff all over these trash bags. And it's just like, I was like, wow. Um, it's like a big house. It's really nice. And you know, what's really funny is, um, I ended up, uh, I ended up, you know, since I stayed an extra month, um, I was looking for new places. I went to a place where like these riot employees were like, Hey, you know, we're looking for another roommate. And I was like, Oh, I'm moving. They were like, so why, why are you moving out of your place? And I was like, Oh, it was this big streamer house. It has like this many people, et cetera. And it was so funny. Cause like the two other roommates in the other room, like popped their heads in. They went, they went, how many people can live in there? And I was like this many. And they were like, that's actually perfect. So then, uh, I arranged it so that I showed them around the house with the, uh, the uh, real estate agent came over later and uh, they said that immediately that they would take it. And then that actually became the riot party house. Oh, uh, yeah. Cause it, it's that good of a house. Like it became the riot party house afterwards. Um, so I, th- I think since then it's, they've like moved out of it cause it's been a few years now. Like that was 2018. Um, so yeah, it was like the riot party house for like two years or something like that. Uh, where everybody would just go there. It was so funny because my roommate was like, my roommate uh, was like, dude, I went to this party and it was fucking trippy because I went into this room that used to be your room and I was like, but it's not your room anymore. <laughs> he was like, he was like, it was so weird to walk into Zyrene's room in this house and it, like, everything was different. Like the house completely redecorated and stuff. He was like, it was really trippy. I thought it was so funny. Um, yeah, so like uh, some of the members like, for in my mind, I did what I did and said what I said. One, because obviously being stressed out felt like nobody's looking out for me when I'm trying to look out for everybody else. Uh, even doing small things all the time. Because I'm working at Riot simultaneously. I'm bringing all their packages up to their room because I just don't want the house to be dirty. Moving everything around. Doing a lot of different things. And they felt like I made them out to be, <laughs> made myself out to be like a saint while they uh, they were evil. And for me, I was kind of like, I'm just talking about the things that really annoyed me um, like that. So... I definitely think I like did it in a way that I don't think was great because I obviously should have gone to them first. But in my mind, I'm like, you guys should have come to me first for like, I guess <laughs> the things that they blame me for. I think that I, I, I think it's ironic because I think that they don't understand what they did. Right. Where it's like, they're like, oh, if you had a problem, you should have come to us first. And I'm like, well, if you guys were literally going to move out of the house, you should come to me first and tell me before you guys make plans with each other. And like do all the X, Y, and Z. Um, and then when uh, I asked them if we could extend the lease for a month because of my situation, I, I felt like I had given everybody everything they had ever needed in terms of my flexibility and worked around them. And then nobody wanted to work around me. Um, and that was the thing where I was like, damn, now it just feels like people are selfish. 
And now it just feels like these are people that claim to be your friend, but they're really just like a surface level friend um, for some of them, right? I was just like, this feels bad. Because uh, I felt like I sacrificed a decent amount for that house and they didn't uh, to the same degree, but obviously they're like bigger content creators, et cetera, right? Uh, but yeah, it was a, it was really rough. I know there were other factors for like some people that made them want to move, uh, but yeah, it was a blame in the house and all that stuff on top of my situation that was going on at the time with my trying to process my first time ever being cheated on um, while also being on a reverse schedule. Uh, it's just really, really difficult to deal with all of that. So yeah, I, I vented a little bit about the house. I think it got clipped by Yvonne at some point. Um, and that became like the thing, the meme where it was like clipped by Yvonne. And I was like, oh shit. Because um, I think uh, pretty much nobody in the house saw the stream entirely that I did. Uh, they just heard about it from other people. And I was also sitting there going, damn, you know, the people who want to like come at me for these types of things where they didn't see everything or hear everything that I saw, or some of them didn't see or hear anything about it. Um, or sorry, see, didn't see anything or hear anything about it from me and just other people. I sat there and I was like, I don't feel like these are people that I want to be have like real friendships with. If they're the type of person who's like not going to try and uh, be understanding, right? Because immediately it felt like they didn't try to understand what I was going through or the issues I was having. And instead tried to make themselves immediate victims of what I had done when what I had done was because of all these things that had happened from their side of stuff. So it was like one of those things where I, like I said, I felt like I did to them kind of what they did to me. Um, but that was the, the shitty thing is they didn't really understand what they had done to me. So it all from their perspective just looked like I was being really bad. So the house was already breaking up. The house was already done. Everything was fucking perfect for them. Um, and then this was like a blind side, right? And for me, it was a blind side as well. So my relationship with those people, some of them, some of them, some of them, um, is like shattered. And the other ones were actually just perfectly fine. Uh, I think for, I think like Jamie, I gumdrop. It was really funny because uh, she had like a private blog post at one point that somebody like linked me and it said like basically everything that Aiden said was right. We did treat him poorly, et cetera. And I was like, damn, but she'll, she'll never, I was like, she'll never say that publicly because you know, it doesn't do her any favors. Like obviously being my ally in that situation means you're choosing like nine enemies or something. Right. Yeah. And that's just not a smart move. Uh, but it is okay to like sympathize with somebody or empathize with them and still be like, Hey, you know, I still think what you did was wrong. So, and I respect that too. But yeah. That was like a weird point in like Zyrene drama land where another reason I just wanted to just stay away from all that shit. Yeah, I feel like it just you dropped off streaming after that. Like, yeah, uh, I, I, cause, cause the only reason I streamed was because I wanted to be able to help people in the house. I wanted to like be a bigger streamer so I could help them. I only started streaming because I, st I literally didn't stream, uh, except for like a VOD review once or twice for League of Legends until I was in that house. And then I just started to stream, right? And that's when I picked up to like 350 viewers and stuff like that in only a few months. Um, and like more and more. And I think people, I, I think one of the things was people accused me of doing the drama stream to farm viewers. Um, and that, that left a sour taste in their mouth. But it was one of those things where people were like, oh, he only did it to like farm viewers or like use us for viewers. And then I just didn't stream anymore. 
And I still think in their mind, they think I did it for viewers. When in my mind, I'm just like, if you thought I did it for viewers, I wouldn't have fallen off the fucking planet in terms of streaming, right? It's like, but they, people are going to create their own narrative, et cetera, and be like, oh, he did it for viewers. Oh, he did it for this or that. Um, but like, it does, just doesn't line up with the way, the reasons I actually did things. So yeah, now that I definitely stopped streaming after that uh, until later where I was just like, I'm just going to stream gameplay. I'm just going to stream, you know, these things that I want to do literally like years later. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I think, yeah, for there was like a yeah. gap where like, I just gap, didn't hear about Zyrene anymore for, for a long time. Yeah. yeah. I just didn't want to do those things, you know? So yeah, it, I think there, that the house taught me a lot of things about like relationships with people um, and how like people really want to be able to do uh, bad things and, not get blasted for them right people want to be able to make mistakes and not get blasted for them uh and that's just like human nature right so i i get that and i get that i should have come to them with my issues first but it's also like one of those things where i felt like that's how they were treating me and so i decided that's how the game was played right where it's like hey if i'm getting treated this way and i'm just mentally distraught from and emotionally distraught from like all these like curveballs. I don't know what to do with myself. I'm going to talk to some of my friends and those friends watch my stream. So I was like, I'm just going to stream. So, yeah. Yeah. but I do think that one of the things that like really affected uh, my perception of that too, was when you're dealing with streamers and you're trying to be friends with streamers, like like IRL streamers or things like that. It's very fucking hard to understand the work life balance. Cause for me, I would go to work. I would go to Riot Games in the morning, work, come home, turn on stream. That was my work. The stream was my play, right? That, my professional life was at Riot. My personal life, I turned on stream to just talk about stuff. I did things where I would help people with mental illness. I did a thing where people, I did like um, Zyreal talks where people come on and talk about different things that, that affected their life and I would help them work through it with my psychology background. I would just, you know, talk to them about seeking professional help. A lot of different things. I just wanted to help people. And um, I, I remember, uh, oh God, it's a, yeah, so I remember learning that the divide was different because for me, my professional life was at Riot and my personal life was something I just streamed. I would turn it on and be like, hey guys, what's up? You know, these are my friends, et cetera, right? It wasn't a show for me. It wasn't a show. But for them, stream was their work life. Something that I did for fun and was like part of my personal life where I would just vent to stream or they would vent to me about things was personal, but it's, it's public, right? Yeah. For them, their stream is not as entirely a persona, but just an energized version of themselves. And that was something that I had to learn that when they turn off stream and there's no streams on, that's the personal life. What I did is I forced them to cross their personal and their private lives by broadcasting my personal thoughts, right? It's the same as if you're at work and your wife comes in and yells something at you in the workplace where like, she, she thinks you cheated or something, right? Like now all your coworkers are thinking different about you, right? There's like, what the hell's going on? They like, why is this happening in this space? That's basically essentially what I did to them. Even though that's not my reality, I forced them to cross their work and private life 
by having people they work with or people they that see them work like their viewers i forced them to have their stream be have to deal with something that was private right that was the thing that i, I accept was like really uncomfortable for them so yeah that was the thing that i think uh, i learned out of that probably the biggest thing i learned out of that was not everybody's uh perception of how to stream or what's allowed on stream uh even if it is your stream if you're working or talking about other streamers they may not want you talking about those things yeah. right so yeah it's a it's a big thing and i remember one of the things that i when i when i learned this uh or sorry when i like really felt this sink in was when i was watching leslie i was watching Foosley um later and one of her viewers said why can't you guys just be honest like aiden and i was like wow like i didn't say that i didn't say they were essentially dishonest i but like that immediately got attributed to me by like other people who used to be in the house they were like now our viewers think we're liars or like make up different make up things or like show them a different reality it's kind of the thing where like people go like oh streamers are fake right they were like oh zyrene's the only real streamer because he's real with us he tells us how it is and so i became known uh colloquially in those in that circle of like viewers that i was the one who was truthful or like told things how it was um and that hurt their opinion of me not the viewers but the uh the other play the other streamers yeah. their opinion of me because i was now seen as the person who like the that either made themselves out to be or the community thought was the most honest which then hurts your work i essentially hurt their work by doing that and so that's one of those things where i was like even though that was the private thing for me or like a personal life thing for me that i put publicly that was something that turned off a lot of people of like wanting to be my friend afterwards that were streamers because they just don't know what I'm going to talk about on stream or what I'm going to talk about in an interaction with them or at a party or X, Y, or Z. So at the end of the day, I do understand why they feel that way. Um, I just hope that they understand why uh, it happened that way and how I felt going into those things. So yeah, that's basically all, all there is to that situation. Like okay. yeah. in, in and out. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I know it's a lot of information. It was a weird time because it was really fun up until like the blind side after making compromises and bending over backwards for people. Um, plus the time, like I said, like coping with being cheated on is not fucking easy. Not easy at all. Especially when you're dealing with somebody who is like constantly lying and then you learn about these lies like every day. Like my big regret is that I didn't just fucking cut that shit loose immediately. I was just like, I'm just done with that. I did to, I did for a bit. And then it was just like she came back just begging and saying that she like wanted to try again like a month later after I had blocked her all over. I wanted to know if they they changed or not and stuff. So yeah, shouldn't have shouldn't have given them even the the time of day. Should have just been like I'm out, I'm outy. I mean, there's there's so much stuff Personal going on at first. that time as well for you. It sounds like, oh, and I mean, even just for that, normal. That, that, that is the time where I overslept for worlds. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that was because my phone was updated and it was encrypted because android does this thing where it's encrypted when you restart it um you have to put in the passcode before it brings up the thing that actually makes you put in the passcode to get in the phone so i have to unencrypt my phone um to actually make it a phone so it wasn't like receiving calls texts nothing like that alarms weren't going to go off because it was encrypted and i had just swapped from apple to uh, android and i didn't know about this feature so when i updated my phone and then it was like okay we're going to restart 
I didn't know the alarm wasn't going to go off. So I actually got a call or actually like woke up luckily um, just a little bit later than my call time. And they were like, where are you? And I was like, oh God, you know, like all these things, et cetera. Like, hey, this is what's going on. Uh, they were like, hey, this game is still like going on. If you want to come in still, you can do it. And I was like, it's going to take me too long to get ready and not feel completely flustered. Like, and they were like, okay, Isaac's here. He'll do it. So yeah, so the, they had a, they had, I think they had a Zale step in for that. So I was very grateful for that. But I was just like, this is, this, it was just bad. And that's when everybody's like, oh, for like big events, you should be setting two alarms. They're like, oh, you should have an alarm clock next to your desk and you should have your phone. And I sat there and I was like, that's a smart thing to do, but you don't learn that unless you actually miss something important the first time. Like, it's not something because you'll, you'll just be like, oh yeah, my phone has always done it for me. I've always been fine. And then when <laughs> you, something like this happens, you're like, okay, when something, when there's a big thing that you're not supposed to be late to ever, and it's really impactful, you, uh, you set multiple yeah. alarms. You, well, you have I everything like go off. Those kind of moments mm-hmm. ruin it for the rest of yeah. your life. Cause for every time after that, you will always be paranoid that something's uh, messed uh. up. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Forever. I mean, the, 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 it, it's not bad to be cautious, but the thing <laughs> is, you aren't cautious until you mess up. So that was a that was a, <laughs> that was one of those things where people are like, "Oh, should have done this," and I'm like, "There's no way I could have known that." It's like, "No way I could have known that." I apologize. It's a legitimate mistake. I, and like people are like, "Oh, he overslept." It's like, uh, or people are like, "Oh, his alarm didn't go off." I'm like, "Dude, this thing with the phone." I had, I know another person who had it happen to them. I think it happened to like Arya Saki at some point later. Um, when she was talking about it and I was like, yeah, see like fucking, oh my God, like th- this shit is weird. It don't have it on any other phone. Just swap to Android. But yeah. Uh, that was the same time. That was like the same month that I had learned about all those other things happening. Um, so that was like a really weird time in my life. Like I think the beginning of 2018 was an amazing time in my life. Um, and then the later half of 2018 was just absolute garbage. Absolutely terrible. Loss of friendships, relationships, uh, Mental was just degrading. Uh, career, obviously, had missed the, uh, uh, the call time for that one thing. So I was just like, that was just... I Because, I, I, like, you know, I've talked earlier in this podcast about how I've uh, struggled with uh, depression and anxiety and a lot of things uh, when I was younger. Those things don't magically go away. You can cope a little bit better as you get older. But when things like this happen and you already have a predisposition to doom and gloom mentality that's when you, you know, it really hits you and it really hurts. So uh, I uh, definitely struggled a bit there at the end of 2018. And, you know, in retrospect, I could have handled things a lot better, been a lot stronger. Uh, but at the time, it was just I had never encountered anything like that, whether it was the, uh, the issue with the phone or the issue with my girlfriend. So that was... Uh, I mean, that's a lot of God. housemates even just to be living with even if you weren't stream streaming at the time because uh i don't know how many people have lived in houses where there's that many other housemates as well but i feel like every extra housemate past one or two starts multiplying the chaos and the things that can happen in the house more and more Uh, i experienced that a lot when i was doing the snowboard thing because in ski resorts they pack like 10 12 people into one house a lot of the times and man the more housemates you have, it feels like the more and more the chaos just multiplies. Yeah. Uh, and that's not even being a streamer. That's just, just natural chaos from having that many people in, in one roof. Mm-hmm. So I can only imagine how much crazy it is if everyone's a public persona as well at the same time. But yeah, so um, that whole thing happened then. Uh, then the, it was like the dark era of Zyrene. I don't think I heard about 
you or knew of you doing anything for ages. Uh, in fact, I, I think at, at one point I, I may have typed in into Google like, "What happened to Zyrene?" Uh, because like you just kind of like disappeared for a while. And um, but at some point you you started working at Pro Guides. Some, yeah, because I wanted to get back into teaching things, but I didn't want to really be a public figure or do commentary. Um, I think that like nowadays, I think I'm like, I could do commentary again. It is fun. I could find the fun in it again. I don't think I would do it for League of Legends. So we're going to wait for like, you know, when a game comes out that I actually think is something I really want to do and I'm passionate about that has commentary be a uh, an actual like career path for it. Uh, I'll probably hop back in then. But for me, it's just I just wanted to disappear and not be in any of that stuff. Right. Because I think for like after I left Riot um, in the like from March 2019 onward, uh, the girl that I had talked about where like, you know, she had cheated on me. I had taken her back a few months later in 2018 and then I like worked on my relationship with her, tried very hard, went to like Canada to visit her back and forth. And then for the later half of 2016, or sorry, 2019, um, I had to deal with her, you know, uh, cheating again. And so I was just like, how do I deal with this? Am I like disrespecting myself type thing? Um, they say they apologize. They, she had like a, a episode where she was suicidal and I had to take care of her when I found out that she cheated. So it was one of those things where I never really got to process my grief where but she uh she uh was now the victim and i had to take care of her right because she's like suicidal like i i remember i had to uh she she like took a glass into the bathroom smashed it against the floor and then grabbed shards of glass and tried to cut herself and i had to push her to the ground pin her down uh with my knees on her biceps and rest and sat on her stomach sat on her stomach pinned her arms with my uh my knees and then grabbed the uh, the glass out of her hands and like cut my own at the same time. Called the police. She said not to call the police. I said if there's nothing wrong, they will leave. Right? She's like, don't call them, don't call them. I'm like, if if there's really, she's like, I'm okay. There's it's all right. It's all right. Like, there's nothing wrong. It's good. Don't call them, please. Don't call them. I was like, if there's nothing wrong, they will leave. And I just called. Um, and apparently not, there was something wrong. So because then she got hospitalized, and uh, I had to deal with that. So basically, but this was because. Uh, I had found out that she was cheating and I told the guy that I that she had a boyfriend and the guy flipped out and he was a big streamer and so she felt like her career was over because this guy was going to put her on blast <laughs> on stream. So I was like, oh, okay. Like, so she was having a mental breakdown. She wanted to hurt herself and so I didn't really get to process the grief for a long time and then every time I would bring it up, she would get really uh, anxious or like, you know, feel really uneasy so i never really got to process that grief and i think i stayed with her for a long time to try and actually understand the situation or take care of her or have her finally uh understand my pain instead of focus on her own but that moment never came and so i actually ended up breaking up with her a few months later and that's when i was like you know what i think i've been away from streaming for long a long time Classic WoW is now in like almost uh, BWL era. So I started streaming a little bit for BWL and uh, and like doing pugs and things like that. 
and this is 2020 right yeah and i think that was actually the first time i heard uh, of yeah. you again because yeah you popped into my yeah. stream one day i was like Cyrene, league yeah. of legends Cyrene. Yep. and then in uh 2020 end of 2020 that's when like nax comes out beginning of 2021 is when i start st- sp- uh, streaming speedruns and then middle of 2021 is when TBC comes out. And then I stream basically almost every day. Uh, and I leave pro guides and then just keep going on, you know? So that's, uh, that's, where, that's how we get to today. So you know, I find the last two years of my life to be way fucking better than the two before that. That was a really, really rough time for me. Man, you, you, and I, didn't, I didn't think I would have rough times like that late in my life. You know, you think like, oh, the rough times are all when you're younger. But then when you get older, you just go, man, there are some years where you were just like, how did that year go so poorly, so quickly when it was so good for so, for so long? Um, and then it's just like, it. why does it take so long to get like back on your feet or like get happy again? And it's really strange. I hope I never have anything like that again. But that was definitely a uh, a time in my life in 2018 to 19 where things were very, very dark. Like you said, it was like dark age where I've gone dark, but it's also, it was a very dark time for me where I was like, I really just want to figure out who I am again uh, and try to get away from all the stuff that causes me mental distress, like my relationship where I've been cheated on, like uh, my League of Legends, like Riot Games, like the things, anything that could possibly cause me any distress, I just tried to get away from and figure out what I'm like without those things. And I can say I'm much happier I like myself a lot more and even if like some people will be like oh you know his career trajectory went down ever since he left Riot Games like what a stupid decision I'm like it was not worth my mental health to continue in the pattern that I had been and especially even playing League of Legends that shit made me mad like I don't know how many of you guys play League (laughs) before but like playing League makes you inexplicably mad sometimes and then I would play with my I would play with my girlfriend and she would just blame me for everything (laughs) when it wasn't my fault it was just it it was so weird like i remember i would be like 12 and 1 in a game and she would and we'd we'd lose because people are feeding and she would be like you didn't give them enough kills when you ganked i'm like what so like if i didn't carry the game when i was fed it's because i didn't give people kills and i'm like i don't think this one in four draven would (laughs) have been uh like four and zero if i had given him those other two kills because he just ran in an unwarded area, completely fucking like blind of his own volition, ran in and face checked it for no reason. I'm like, that wouldn't have helped him. I'm like, I'm like, babe, that guy having 15 more kills wouldn't have helped him in that situation where he just got gangbang made their entire team and decided to do that while we were all backing. Like that's just not how it goes. But I would get blamed for it all the time, and then she would get upset and all that. So it was just like really, really toxic relationship for me. Um, incredibly toxic. Uh, and I think that it brought like some of the worst out of me too. So yeah, I really wanted to like find myself again and make sure that I was uh, doing things I enjoyed, being places I enjoyed with people that I like. Uh, so, you know, my roommate is my best friend. I play WoW all the time and it makes me very happy to do so. <laughs> um, and I, I really, it, I really like where I am despite it being something that a lot of people will see as like a decline. Um, for me, my story is more that it's it's just me finding my happiness. You know, I know that sounds really cheesy, but I didn't think I'd ever say anything like that. But it's actually very true because I used to think that your work defined you as a person, but there's so much more to it than that. Oh yeah, because, so much more. Like I remember uh, hearing this thing where somebody said that they uh, like 
somebody was at like a, a psychology conference and they said that they had like tried to commit suicide before and the person's like why and he's like well because i used to have a bunch of money as like a you know uh, somebody who worked the stock market and then i and i would be the guy that people would ask for money all the time they would be like hey man you know family dinner they hey got money he's like yeah i got money like he hands it all the time right he had more than enough and then he eventually went broke and now people don't ask him for anything or he feels bad when they ask him for things because he doesn't have it um and so he felt useless and worthless and that's because he identified as somebody who had money and i identified as like a commentator for a long time but in reality you can find joy and purpose in almost any relationship or thing you identify as so you can be like, I identify as I want to be a good son. I want to be a good father. I want to be a good friend, right? You can do things that make you more like that and will make you feel like you have purpose when you see what your what results come out of that. Um, and so for me, it's like, I want to be a good teacher. I want to be a good video game player. I want to be a good streamer. I want to be a good boyfriend. Like those types of things are things that make me feel more whole than trying to be a good commentator or public figure, right? So, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's one mean, of those things where people are like, why would you stream this game for only like X amount of people when you could have done this for like 10 times as many people? And for me, it's it, it's not really about that. It's uh, people are like, oh, it doesn't mean anything when you do this, but it that's not how meaning works, right? Things have meaning if you give them meaning and that's what makes them meaningful right? If I do something that's really arbitrary for you, Snow, you might be like, oh, that me actually meant a lot. It could mean nothing to somebody else. Things only have meaning if you give them it. And for me, wow has meaning to me, despite other people might not feeling the same way. And me being happy has more meaning to me than being quote unquote successful. I've already been successful and I know it doesn't make me happy. You know? I know it definitely doesn't make me happy. In fact, sometimes it has the opposite effect. Yeah, I mean, you're you're preaching to the choir here because uh, yeah. I, it's something I've always believed, at least ever since I went down my whole snowboard path. It was kind of like, for, for me, it was where I found myself. And I still, to this day, I remember that, man, some of the most happy times were when I was dirt broke, barely could afford to like eat uh, or go and ha- was eating like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches as a uh, up and coming snowboarder and whistler. But in my chaotic 10-man apartment, uh, Shelly and Whistler, like, those are some of the funnest times and, like, the happiest times as well. Because I was doing something I loved. It meant something to me. May not have been, like, the peak of my success in it, but those were, like, some of the happiest days for me. Yeah. So, I think it's something that a lot of people miss, chasing, like, the rat race or chasing what other people define as success. When at the end of the day, you know, you can be successful in so many things and, and be miserable. So what, what does yeah. that really mean if you're miserable versus... And it's it's so, it's so hard yeah. to grasp that for people who want to be successful, though, because they're just like, once I'm successful, I, I'll be happy, right? And happiness doesn't work that way. Happiness yeah. is not, once I reach this goal, I will be happy. That's transitory. That will That will go away. You will set a new goal. You'll be like, oh, when I reach this goal, I'll be happy. Then the goalposts move after a few days, weeks, whatever it takes. Then you have to go tell yourself, oh, once I do that, then I'll be happy. Once I become a riot commentator, I'll be happy. Boom. Once I become you know, on the NALCS, 
I'll be happy. Once I cast the big games, I'll be happy. Once I you know, cast worlds, I'll be happy. Once I cast world finals, I'll be happy. You keep doing that. And it never really gets to the point where you're really happy with yourself in a meaningful, permanent way, in my opinion. Um, and it's actually counterintuitive because if you set goals to be happy, you're less likely to achieve those goals than if you're happy. Happy people achieve their goals more frequently than people who are unhappy and it makes you more likely to actually go through with it so instead of setting goals and then thinking that's what's going to make you happy if you can find things that make you happy they'll make you more likely to achieve your goals being being happy is a it's such a weird one because uh uh man people like we said people jump past it and miss what it means to be happy but I will tell you, some of the people I met in in Whistler, which is like a ski bum town, where either people are dirt poor or super, super rich. There's like no in between. They're either like yeah. super rich, retired or holidaying millionaires or just ski bums. Uh, and, and sometimes you'll be at the grocery store and this is like a really common thing. And you chat to the person who's working at the checkout at the grocery store. And then you find out that, wait, this guy's got an MBA. He's like really, really educated. He should be earning like a really good salary somewhere. And some of them, I talked to them and they're like, oh, you know, um, this was just more happy for me. I just enjoy doing this more, being the checkout person at a ski resort and being a ski bum than, than being a lawyer back home or being like a business person back home. And then it really changed my perspective a lot when I met a lot of those people and they're like, yeah, these guys are these guys are way happier than the people back home. I, I, I'd be like, as a curious about watching these people who are like living paycheck to paycheck, but so much happier than I, I look at my Facebook feedback then because Facebook was still big. And uh, mm-hmm. I'd be like, man, these, these other friends back home, they're miserable. They're more successful, but they're miserable. And yep. it's, it, it changes your perceptive of uh, your perception of what actually being happy and being successful is. Yeah. So like, yeah, uh, I'll look back at some memories and be like, "Oh, that was really cool that I like was at Madison Square Garden commentating." Not a lot of people can say that in their life that they did that, but for some reason, it just doesn't mean anything to me. People will ask me about events, they'll be, like, "Oh, it was so cool when you did this," and I'm like, hey, "I kind of forgot that I did that." Right? It wasn't like a landmark for me. It wasn't something that actually made me feel like a really uh, extreme happiness. Right? So, yeah, uh, you you would think it would when you're there. Or when you want to be there, but actually being in that situation and then having it happen, you're just like, I don't, it, it doesn't have the same impact that you thought it would. It's very strange in your life, the things that you remember throughout the way, right? The things that stick with you could be incredibly small or they could be incredibly large. And for me, a lot of the things are that they're small moments. Uh, those are the ones that usually stick with me. Not so much the big moments that you think like would stick out in like a movie and stuff, right? It's very strange how it happens with me. Uh, this is this, it's weird that we actually kind of stumbled into the last topics I had on the list here because I, I was actually curious about, do you like streaming? Because like you, you've always taken a unique approach to streaming that you just stream whatever you feel like. Um, and like right now, it's, you know, obviously, like you said, like people don't view it as successful when you could be doing League of Legends or... Of yep. just chatting or something or using your connections to get more viewers and, and such but you just kind of you know you just stream whatever you feel like streaming so do, do you actually enjoy the act of streaming now or i enjoy streaming i don't like being a streamer interesting like i like streaming 
because I like when people ask questions. I like when they learn. I like when they uh, have respect for my work or think I'm a good tank, etc. Yeah. Right? Like that feels good. I like streaming, uh, but I don't like being a streamer. And what I mean by that is I don't like setting up a sub goal. I don't like asking people for subs. I know it's good for your career. I know it helps. I don't like doing the just chatting thing to try and boost numbers. I don't like being a streamer, but I like streaming. That, that's the differentiation I want to make there. Um, so yes, I do like turning on the stream and I do like being myself. And I do like not doing what other people do to try and get bigger. Um, because for me, it doesn't feel right and I will do it when it does feel right. So like, for example, like Rested XP is something I'm using. People ask me about it all the time and I'm like, okay, maybe I'll help them out and like get an affiliate link. And that actually makes me money, but I feel like I'm helping them, right? Yeah. So that's something where I would be like, okay, that feels like a much more, that feels like a much better suit, right? It seems like more suitable for what I'm doing. Yeah. So yeah. I want it to make sense. I'm not going to do the Raid Shadow Legends thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They offer a lot of money. But they offer a lot of money when they come they up to you. They do a fuck ton of money. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's too much sometimes. I realize, like, I, I sit there and I'm just like, what's the ROI on this? Yeah, yeah, exactly. No. Like, you read it, you're like, you're can they afford to money. pay me this much? Like, they shouldn't be yeah, paying me this much. And I was like, you, you are burning money, yeah. friend, if you were offering me this much. Yeah. But, yeah. but yeah, streaming, streaming is a very weird job in that it's like, like this high potential, but, and, but also super high barrier to success. And super yep. weird high stress at the same time. A lot of times you have to play by the rules to break through that barrier too. Because I used to play by those rules. And it is very successful. It does make you very good very quickly. It does make people like support you. Um, but that's just... I don't want to play that game by those rules, right? Yeah. I want to play the game, but I want to play it by my rules. And my rule is I'm going to do my thing. Because um, that's what makes me happy. I don't want to. I don't want to do the... I don't want to do the streamer thing like a streamer, at least right now. Maybe someday it'll feel like a better fit, but not now. Oh. Yeah. So, so I guess to kind of wrap it up a little bit, do you have any, what, what are your long-term plans? Because like right now you're just kind of, you're chilling, you're playing WoW, you're, you're adjusting, you're resetting and you're just enjoying life as, as it is, getting used to things. Do you have like a long-term plan or... Uh, are you just trying to figure it out day by day? Or what, what's the end goal for you? For me, my end goal is just trying to be happy. Um, my, I know that sounds like really weird, uh, but for me, it's kind of like, I didn't know I was going to be an esports commentator. Like My life has been so weird where it's like, I didn't know that I was going to drop out of high school and do homeschool. I didn't know that I was going to be a like psych student who was getting all F's and D's. I didn't know I was going to transition to being an actor who got all straight A's, then transition to being a psych major again, who got all straight A's, who then transitioned to being a YouTuber for a few months and then did uh, uh, commentary and then became a professional esports caster. Like none of what I've done up until those moments were things that were intentional to get me where I wanted to be. Uh, instead, they were all happy accidents, you know, from from your boy um, to accidentally prepare me for a job that I didn't exist when I was starting to prepare for it. Right. Yeah. When I became an actor, it wasn't really a job to be a uh, esports commentator. None of that. So for me, the uh, long term plan right now is I want to do the things that make me happy. I 
want to work on my relationship with my girlfriend who makes me incredibly happy um, and absolutely wonderful. Like I talk about like, you know, the funk I was in, uh, I definitely attribute a lot of what helped me get over a lot of the things from my past and the dark times were just how much she was supportive and understanding. Because um, I had basically just been like, I'm going to do my own thing for a long time, not really have anybody else be involved in it. And then like she changed my mind. Uh, so for for me, I think that she is something that I want to put like a lot of uh, effort into and try to make her happy. Uh, so my long-term plan is to like work on my relationship, work on uh, my stream in a way that's not traditional for a lot of streamers. But in terms of like long-term plan, I know that, like you said, you could go be like somebody who packs groceries or something like that and still be happy. For me, I'm kind of like, I know that if I like move in with my girlfriend and I make very little money, uh, I'm still going to be very happy. Um, I know that's not like something that prepares you for, you know, a long career, having kids or anything like that. But like I said, I'm waiting for when a game pops up that I'm incredibly passionate about that is maybe popular that I then go, okay, this is where I want to come back into commentary, come back into teaching. So short-term plans are things like Wrath of the Lich King. Long-term plans are relationship and potential career in the future based on my broadcasting skills. And I've looked at different opportunities like being a producer because I do have like a broadcast background. But uh, it's not something I've really pulled the trigger on just yet because I'm still having a lot of fun doing what I'm doing right now. So I have a lot of bullets in the chamber to potentially fire off when I feel like doing that. But right now, it's just not something that's a top priority for me. You know, I yeah. kind of have the, the revolvers loaded, but it's still under the pillow because I'm taking a nap. You know, it's, uh, it's funny. I had this last question here. Um, not sure if you would have the answer, but you, you already talked a lot about this because uh, I, I'm curious, what is your ultimate end game happy life? Like if you, you had like that end game goal of like this, is, this, this is it. This is like my ideal because at least for me, I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm really <laughs> weird in that, uh, when I went through that whole phase of the snowboarding thing and everything, it really gave me a window into like, this is what makes me happy. This is like my ideal like situation. So I guess to give you an example for me, like I've always been working back to front and I know what my end goal is and everything I've done has been trying to like inch towards that end goal. So for me, it'd be like, oh, I, I have a house in Whistler. I wake up in the morning without an alarm. I go get some brunch with my wife or whatever and then I go do some snowboarding for half the day then I come back and uh, go to the gym I meet my friends after for like a beer and some just good conversation and, and then I go home and I play some video games and I repeat that every day and at least for me that's like my ultimate happy end game life I, I could do that every day and be perfectly content and happy for the rest of my life but what, what, what is it for you I guess is, is there something like an end goal for you I think my entire life, I've just thought that having a goal is going to set myself up for failure because I'm going to find something else that I like more. Like I don't, I like I said, like didn't know I was going to be a commentator, didn't know I was going to do any of those things, didn't even know they existed. Um, so I don't usually look very far into the future to try and guess or put myself on a certain path. Um, my college kept getting derailed, different majors, uh, different careers. Uh, different, you know, streaming for six months, YouTube for three months, like success pretty much wherever I decide to go. Um, for me, it's I just want to find something that I enjoy doing 
um, with people I enjoy being around and love. And that's pretty much all there is to it. And in fact, you just made me think right now that I was like, you know, I'm actually very happy. Right? You're like, this is your end goal. I'm actually, to some degree, in my, in my end game for what I consider me being really happy. Right? I do the things I want to do, things that make me happy, uh, wonderful, absolutely lovely girlfriend, amazing roommate that you know I can hang out with and he's my best friend. Uh, great chat. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, and I get to stream and like people aren't like mean or belligerent and I get to talk about the things I want to talk about and people don't think it's like weird or wrong or like any, anything like that. I don't mind like disagreements from time to time, but it's like I definitely think I'm genuinely happy at this point in my life and I don't know maybe this is something that also causes me to have less drive is that I don't really know what I would do to really make it better than it is right now for how I feel because I'm very happy almost every day and I haven't been depressed in a very long time and for me that's kind of just been the goal ever since like my suicide attempts when I was younger um, was like I just want to be in a place where I'm not miserable and then that went from my when I reached when I went from a negative ten to a zero, and I was like, okay, I'm not miserable. I was like, I want to go to a place where I'm at a ten, right? So originally it was I just I just want to not be miserable, and then it was I just want to be not I just want to be happy now, and that's where I'm at now, and that's why I, I do what I do or don't do the things that I don't do, right? And yeah, I I'm sorry for like the lack of an answer here. Oh, that, yours is very yours is very concrete, but mine is more so more so abstract and uh feel like I'm almost there. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, like mine is, is mine is like that. That's just like one scenario, at least for me. Like for yeah, me, my like yeah. my my idea of ultimate happy is just like a lot of little things. At yeah. least that's what I found in life. It's like a lot of little things. It's like. Being able to take a walk to my favorite burrito place, get my burrito, and not worry about like the cost of the burrito, eat it, chill on a bench somewhere, get some bubble tea, <laughs> take a walk back home, things like that. I, I, I don't know, like maybe I'm weird, but I find like a lot of those things like to make me really happy. Just yeah, basic things that allow you to have like peace and like you know, feel like uh, you're doing what you want to do at the pace you want to do it. It's a lot of a lot of what that is, right? So, uh, yeah, uh, I. I respect that a lot and that make that makes a lot of sense to me. It's not weird at all. Yeah. Well, I mean this this was a good conversation. And I mean yeah. it's uh it was, it was a fun time for the final the It's final gone it's podcast. gone all over the place. Yeah. I I hope people enjoy it. Um Yeah, that's a big shout out to you for doing the podcast from start to finish. Like uh this was something that Snow approached me about to do, and I've just basically been a guest on it the entire time. He's done all the editing, all of the posting on all different medias. So I hope you guys, you know, give Snow uh, positive feedback, you know, <laughs> affirmation, and also that uh, you watch anything he decides to do in the future or, you know, the path that he chooses to go on. Uh, but also I would say, like, in the comments, leave your favorite Snow moment from the show. I, uh, I like, uh, <laughs> I've liked doing the podcast with you. Yeah, it's been I mean, yeah, it's, it's been, been a it's really been a good time. Fun. Yeah, it's been really fun. And if you, I mean, if you ever come to Korea, you gotta, we gotta meet up. I will hit you up if stuff. I ever go yeah, to Korea. Sure. I one of my friends is having a wedding there in like a few months. I don't know if I'm gonna go because it is in Korea, and I have no idea like what my like financial situation is gonna be to do yeah. flight and all that. And so, 
uh, but I will let you know if I end up going. Yeah, no, it's been fun, man. I enjoyed it. Yep. It's uh, it's been a yeah, it's, it's been a fun journey. I guess I'll see you uh around next time, right? I don't, I don't know when mm-hmm. the next time we're gonna talk, but uh, I'll see you if you come to Korea. If not, uh, I'm sure at some point I might be in LA. Who knows? But yeah, it's been fun, man. I enjoyed yeah, it. If you come to LA, you gotta hit me up. If I go to Korea, I'm gonna hit you up. No, hundred percent. All right, man. Uh, you gotta raid like soon, right? Yeah, yeah. I have to raid very very soon in a few minutes so. yeah, in a few minutes yeah <laughs> all right man I-, I won't keep you but yeah it's, it's been a pleasure it's been a lot yep. of fun man and uh yeah i'll catch you around yeah thanks for asking me to do this yeah for sure man take it easy yep, yep you too have a good one man